As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. How's the forum? I'm the Berries. Thinking a lot about Cork terms and words that we used way back in the day. And that was one that came into my head. I saw somebody's house down in the south side with the name on it is called The Berries. You know how people name their houses? The Berries. And I thought, wow, I wonder has that got something to do with the fact that everybody in the house is just feeling great. I'm the Berries boy. Anyway, paper-wise today, great news on Side. In many ways, it's great news when you hear of companies upscaling and deciding to invest masses amount of money. And the Echo this morning carries the story that Merck are going to spend 440 million euro to expand their plants in Carrick Tool and Blarney a business park and that's great because it's upwards of 370 jobs not to mention all those in construction that will be involved in it uh, but where are they all going to live I mean there's always a, a downside to job creation and people investing and companies starting up here where in the name of God are they going to live I mean uh, Sinn Féin were they to get into government are going to fine uh, people estate agents and individuals who are putting up ads for uh, houses and apartments on Airbnb without the proper planning permission and I remember talking about this at length with uh, Tripe and Drasheen, uh, the news feed uh, on Side some weeks back. And uh, they were saying that the vast majority of those who are doing business uh, on Airbnb don't have the proper authority to do it, certainly by way of, of planning permissions. I just don't know. And on top of that, then you have the mail this morning saying that and we, this is something we've dealt with on this program over the past few weeks. We're talking about, uh, you know, whether it was apprenticeships or trades or construction or building houses or trying to find somewhere to live. 90% of production of construction companies won't take on fixed price contracts anymore, meaning they can't allow themselves to be locked in to a pre-agreed deal um, because prices change so quickly and so rapidly. So 90% of them won't take on fixed price contracts. And somebody was saying to me on the air last week that in some cases, like even for builder suppliers, um, companies that supply the, they might give you a 24 hour lock in on the price. But after 24 hours, that locked in price is gone. Um, there are two stories relating to various virus, viruses, uh, making the newspapers this morning. One is the first case of a new COVID-19 variant. It's called BA4. And it's kind of like um, uh, just another line off the uh, Omicron variant, COVID-19, Omicron variant. But, you know, we're living with that, aren't we? And what else can we do with it? But this uh, this monkeypox seems to be a bit of a worry because British medics are now saying that Ireland needs to brace itself for the imminent arrival of monkeypox virus. It's a contagious disease that will, incidentally, what's very similar to COVID is that it will require 
contact tracing because it is uh, very contagious apparently so the papers talk of this nasty virus that's uh, that's on the way as if we hadn't enough to be getting on with paper wise today of course a lot of it has to do with inflation a lot of it has to do with the cost of living or what have you and of course much of it has been driven but you really now have to keep a close eye on petrol forecourts because there's huge disparity in prices now as to what they're charging. It must have something to do with when they're getting their fill of their own tanks. But you can go from anywhere, uh, from 189 for uh, unleaded to 199 for unleaded. I've even seen many forecourts across here in Kerry where where diesel is actually cheaper than petrol. And that's an interesting phenomenon because by and large in recent times, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I'm not, petrol was um, cheaper uh, than diesel. So it's, it's, you really just need to double check. If you're getting a fill, you know, that, that, could be, that could be the difference of a few euro in a fill alone. And you know the problems we have with, with um, you know, closing post offices in, in Ireland, or the lack of, of uh, you know, post offices, more and more closing Government's going to give a, a sweetener now to postmasters uh, to you know keep the post offices open by giving them up to a thousand euro a month. So that could be up to ten to twelve grand a year just to try and staunch the decline uh, of uh, post offices and branches around Ireland. And they're also looking to find money to give school school bus companies some love with regards to rising fuel costs. And you know the school bus companies; these would be the ones that primarily transport kids to and from school right across the country, particularly in rural areas. They've gotten 5.3 million now emergency support for, um, you know, rising rising fuel costs. And the papers today also talk about um, uh, dog fouling. There, there's a couple of stories that really push buttons on Lee side on this program. One of them happens to be rats, uh, which we'll have more on later on this morning. Another is dog fouling, dog poo. Um, and we do have a city and county um, uh, wardens that are supposed to issue fines, but it's almost impossible when you think about it. In fairness, it must be almost impossible to issue a fine. You literally have to catch the dog in the act with the owner standing next to them. Maybe that's why that right across the country, almost all of the county councils uh, and city councils across the country have issued zero. I think Cork County Council in the space of a few years have issued like 37 dog fouling. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how in the name of God, like you're going to get to uh, increase that figure. I just don't know. But uh, dog darts causing more and more of an annoyance, particularly when, you know, we head into the summer and more people are out. But that's why we were talking last week about Kerry Beaches uh, banning dogs during daylight hours. I suppose other reasons besides dog fouling, but that's one of the main ones with regards to beaches. And then there's a lot of money-related stories. Of course, the wag at the Christie trial has come to a close. How in the name of God did it ever get into court in the first place that they had... uh, uh, more more money than sense, I suppose. But there you have it, nonetheless. All of this dirty linen being aired in public and at a cost of three and a half million euro in legal fees. And and that's the figure you know of. You know, maybe it's even north of that. Uh, I don't think there's been a, there hasn't been a verdict, has there? I think, I don't know what the story is. is there? What, kind of a, what, what kind of a verdict can you give anyway? Guilty or not guilty of slander? Guilty or not guilty of defamation? Guilty or not guilty of libel? Life will go on, I suppose. Uh, and life continues to go on for the likes of you two that continue uh, to make the Irish rich, rich list combining all the members of you two now uh, they're just shy of a billion, uh, 735 million the lot but it's the Western Empire and Alana and Galen Weston live in Ireland, they're huge big retail magnets, massive fortune, they're worth 
nearly 16 billion euro and they continue to top the the rich list and the papers had that rich list at the weekend if you've got a few bob to spend and you're a uh, a James Bond 007 fan, particularly if you're a Sean Connery fan, you might be interested in pitching in your few bob uh, for the poster of uh, Goldfinger because that's very rare, apparently, this printed poster. Apparently, um, the, the censors were rather prudish, I'm told, about Goldfinger way back in the day. I'm, I mean, uh, I mean I'm, uh, I'm a 007 fan. I like it. I like James Bond, but I, I wouldn't remember what the different storylines were, not for a moment. So I don't know what the backstory to Goldfinger was. I think there was probably a lot of grief over the fact that uh, one of the um, one of the actresses' names was was Pussy Galore. But the poster itself apparently will sell for at least uh, uh, twelve grand. And I suppose if you're a collector, it's small money, isn't it? It's one of the original posters. And also, you want to be a little bit happier? Get out in the garden. Now is the time to go visiting uh, your garden shops and garden stores and get uh, all the plants in and the shrubs and get working because it makes you happier. It really does. Gardening has always been considered good for the soul. And now apparently they went out and they asked thousands of people, uh, you know, I mean, if it's a sunny day and you got a few hours to spare... Getting the hands into the earth can't be a bad thing. Uh, papers also talk this morning of other things that make people happy. And one of them apparently is a Tato bar. Yeah, not a packet of Tato, but a Tato chocolate bar. Uh, and this is a chocolate bar that's packed with cheese and onion crisps. It's been described as genius by a taste expert. I wouldn't mind trying it. There's only 480,000 of these one euro bars made by the Irish Tato firm, Tato Crisps. But um, apparently they're already changing hands on eBay for numerous, uh, well, I don't know how much, but I didn't see the amount, but certainly an awful lot more than the euro people paid for them. But your man says, first you get the fatty sugar of the milk chocolate. Next you get the onions, the nippiness, um, which comes through the nose. And finally you get the cheese, a deep, rich meatiness. I want one. I want, I want it. I want a Tato cheese and onion chocolate bar. And then there's the story out of the uh, out of America in Texas where apparently a two-year-old uh, got his hands uh, on Mammy's phone and ordered 31 cheeseburgers, apparently, which were delivered. Apparently, there's an app in America called DoorDash. I guess it's a faster version of Deliveroo or something, and they get the stuff to you really quick. Uh, so the little two-year-old apparently got online, ordered 31 cheeseburgers. Um, suffice to say, Mammy and the two-year-old didn't eat the 31 cheeseburgers. She just went on to the equivalent of Mums of Glanmire and gave them all away, I suppose. And apparently, according to Times UK today, we may well be saying goodbye to the Ford Fiesta. Now, um, it seems as if history is going to repeat itself yet again. Now, Ford have declined to comment on this, but it's becoming increasingly likely that the Ford Fiesta is heading to the same scrapyard as the Ford Escort and the Ford Cortina. When the Escort went, what did they replace it with? Like, I know that when the Ford Cortina went, they replaced it with the Ford Sierra, uh, and now they're saying that the same could happen to the Ford Fiesta, which is kind of sad because even last week, talking about great holiday memories, people, you know, loading up the cars and heading to Yall or touring around Ireland with camper vans. Sorry, what am I saying? With tents uh, and clothes and all but the kitchen sink inside in the back of the car. A lot of the time it was into a Morris Minor or a Ford Escort back in the day. Or if you go way back along, maybe the Ford Anglia. So that's a nostalgic story for you guys who perhaps all, all through the course of your life, maybe, maybe there could be somebody listening to me right now who had a Ford Escort, right? Uh, who had a Ford Cortina. 
and indeed had a Ford Fiesta? If so, love to hear from you. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show. Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork. On Red FM. Yes, indeedy, and it's all about Cork. More on that throughout the course of the morning. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Anybody out there had the triumphant of cars? I just That just came into my head. It's probably not even grammatically correct. A triumvirate of cars, as in a fiesta, um, um, an escort, and indeed a cortina. Very seriously, though, I want to start with this because it's a very disturbing case that was before the court course yesterday, over the week, last back end of last week, I should say, where a woman was jailed for child neglect. And this was before Cork Circuit Criminal Court. She pleaded guilty to willfully ill-treating and neglecting the child and allowing her to be assaulted uh, by her stepfather. Now, I, I think we've seen great examples of very good police work uh, on this program over the last uh, couple of weeks. The amount of police work that went into the Santina Cawley murder uh, was was just colossal in its scale. And apparently uh, the uh, Gardaí Cork City Protective Services Unit at one stage actually visited the home um, and when they were there, uh, by all accounts, the girl told the guardie that she um, fell down the stairs. But by all accounts, uh, a, a member of the guardie, she kind of returned to the house later and managed to talk to the girl alone in the kitchen. For that and lots more regarding the story, I'm joined by Barry Rhodes, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. And I also believe that neighbours alerted guardie with regards to this case about domestic disturbances uh, at a particular home. Wasn't that the case? Yeah, uh, back in... Um, when was it, actually? Uh, back, was it two years ago? Uh, Neighbours... Um, it was July 21, anyway. July 21, yeah. yeah. Um, Neighbours heard a disturbance in the contact with the guardie, and it was actually uniformed officers went to the house and uh, arrived out there, met this girl. She was, I think, 14 or thereabouts at the time. And, of course, isn't named, nor is, name the, nor nor is the defendant yet. Yeah. yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to work with them the basis. Everyone's anonymous in this, but happened in Cork back in, uh, as you say, in 2021. Neighbours heard disturbance, contacted Gardaí, uniformed officers arrived out, met the girl herself. She had bruising and a laceration to her nose, met her mother and her stepfather and they all said that she had fallen down the stairs. You know, the uniform officers were very dubious about this and very suspicious. They contacted their colleagues in the uh, protective services unit which investigates things like this and sexual abuse and, and domestic violence and so forth. And they called out and detected Garda Sheena Dowling of the Cork City Protective Services Unit. She told the court that the Garda as I say, were alerted by neighbours, May 2020, and they called to the house. They found the girl had caught and bruising to the bridge of her nose and bruised eyes. They spoke to her, but when they went back out the second time, they managed to get the girl on her own in the kitchen, and they spoke to her. And again, she said it was a fall down the stairs, but she was wearing a lot of bulky clothing. They asked her to lift up her sleeves and, and so forth, and they actually saw she had a lot of bruising to her body. So that began the investigation by the Protective Services Unit. Uh, the stepfather, it transpired in the course of the investigation that... Um, he'd been abusing the girls sexually. The mother wasn't aware of that, but the mother was engaged in physical abuse of the child and allowed the father, stepfather to physically abuse her as well. As I say, no, it's important to stress the stepmother, or sorry, the mother didn't realise what the sexual element of the no, stepfather No, I understand that. Yeah. The stepfather had a conviction 
for strangling his former girlfriend in, a, in another country. He went on strangling, trial... Uh, strangling and killing, and killing his ex-girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend yeah, in, in another country. He went on trial at the Central Criminal Court last uh, July and he was convicted there of uh, a number of charges. He was convicted of uh, one count of assault causing harm to the child, six charges of child cruelty involving assault, three counts of sexual assault, and two counts of rape. He was convicted in July 2021, and Ms. Justice Deirdre Murphy at the Central Criminal Court sentenced him to 15 years in jail in October last year with the final two years suspended. So he's in but jail now. That yeah. dealt with his side of the... Yeah. equation as it were and his, his abuse and his offending the mother then was up on child neglect and as you say the charge was uh, ill-treating or neglecting child or allowing the child to be assaulted ill-treated neglected in a manner likely to cause unnecessary suffering or injury to the child's health or seriously affect their child's well-being it's a section 246 of the Children's Act it carries a maximum penalty in the circuit court it can be dealt with in the district court uh, summarily and carries a 12 month sentence but in the district and in the circuit court sorry my apologies the higher court a fine of up to 10,000 or 7 years maximum she pleaded guilty obviously we can't name her Judge Helen Boyle uh, went through the evidence uh, the catalogue and the neglect and the abuse. Um, the mother admitted striking the child on the head with a remote tele- TV control and also with a plate. There was other stuff involving the father of physical Stepfather. abuse, which we sort of generally agreed, I think, possibly for everybody's benefit, it was best to describe simply as torture rather than going to the details of yeah. it. Stressing, though, with physical, not the sexual stuff itself within the Central Criminal Court. So the mother allowed that happen. So that was another aspect of the neglect. And then there were other issues apart from the... You're saying he subjected her to this physical abuse and tortures, you say, and the mother didn't intervene. It didn't intervene in that. Okay. So the mother's culpability was, A, the assaults herself, B, stopping, not stopping the, um, stepfather. the stepfather from yeah. carrying out, quote-unquote, the torture, and also then just in terms of neglect, the child being badly or not properly clothed and not being properly fed and she often used to go to school we heard hungry and used to ask teachers for food teachers were concerned and contacted Tuzla uh, about their concerns we heard in a victim impact statement from the child she's known foster care and is doing very well uh, but was living in fear of her stepfather because during his trial in Dublin he or at that time he threatened that if he went to jail he'd kill her so it was seriously terrifying stuff for you imagine kid. that for a young girl to be living like uh, that but she said my parents didn't protect me like they should have but the good news is she's doing well now uh, and is away from that and doesn't want contact with them by way of mitigation I suppose for the mother Tom Creed Defence Counsel he said he presented a psychiatric report which revealed that she'd been beaten herself as a child by her own father after her mother died at an early age and she also was bullied at school. Mm. She also had a psychiatric condition in that she was schizophrenic and when she didn't take her medication, uh, ended up uh, being admitted to hospital. So there were the mitigating factors and as well, I suppose, is that the stepfather whom she... We heard that her the child's father left... At, when the child was quite young, mm. the mother started seeking out male company. She met this guy, the stepfather, online. But again, that was part of neglect in terms of not attending to the child's needs. Mm. And um, she um, she accepted she wasn't capable of taking care of the child. The stepfather used to bully her as well in that he threw water boat over the child and the mother. So she was, in some sense, a mitigating factor was that she was a victim of the assaults herself by the stepfather 
i.e. her partner. Yeah. So Judge Boyle said um, she accepted there was no evidence to suggest that the woman was aware that her husband was sexually assaulting her daughter. Yeah. So that was, again, a mitigating factor. She said the headline sentence was four years, but then taking into account her plea and other things, particularly the fact that she pleaded, not only did it save the state the expense and time of a trial, but more importantly, it saved the daughter having to give evidence in what would obviously have been a hugely traumatic situation for her. So she gave her a two-year sentence, but suspended the final 12 months, so she's effectively serving, um, or will serve, or started a 12-month mm. sentence for it. But a horrible case. But was, and, it, uh, was, the na- was it the neighbours who alerted the guardie that got this ball rolling to get her into court? And actually, yeah. Judge, Judge Boyle made that point. She said quite bluntly, she said, neighbours calling the guardie probably saved two lives here yeah. not just the child herself yeah. but uh, the mother who was at before the courts given uh, the stepfather's history of yeah. violence uh, towards his sex oh absolutely and I know that so, the phones will light up and people will be texting as to how somebody with a conviction for strangling and killing his ex-girlfriend in another country was even in the country in the first place that's for another day but it shows the importance of, of neighbours and people being vigilant and you know absolutely. picking up the phone if they think that something isn't right Absolutely, if this hadn't happened, who knows whether somebody might be dead now or whether yeah. this child would be continually subjected to a yeah. continued abuse. You know, I mean, we're talking May 2020, yeah. so that's two years of abuse that that child has been I know. saved from. Yeah. Not to mention, and, and you know, try and imagine the, the consequent damage psychologically to a child from, from, of all that, but as well the possibility, as the judge clearly uh, indicated, that both the child and the, the mother could have been killed by this guy. He was so violent. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So okay. it really does, as you say, highlight the importance of people and people not being afraid to pick up the call, or pick up the phone and say, listen, I'm hearing something next door, I'm hearing something down the Yeah, because some might, might hear that, but they might say, well, it's, it's uh, none of my not, business. Not, not my business, or I don't want to be causing, and if I'm wrong, whatever. Yeah. You're probably you're better off making the call, and if you're wrong, yeah, you know, or do it discreetly or whatever. But you know, it does really highlight, and uh, Judge Boyle clearly said that neighbours calling the guards probably saved two lives here. Unbelievable. Yeah. Very, very disturbing. And of course, we all wish that young girl a happy life and that she will continue to thrive and go from strength to strength. Barry, thanks for taking the call as always. Appreciate it. Barry Roach, Southern Correspondent with the uh, Irish Times. Lines are open. Text 0868104106. We'll pick it up after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Yes, indeed. I read over the weekend that um, a CNN journalist who was uh, on Lee's side, he was in Ireland, fellow by the name of Richard Quest. He was in Ireland doing two different CNN shows. I think he was in Dublin and then he was down in Cork. And uh, he actually described Cork as being tired. Uh, he was in Ireland doing two shows, apparently. And he did compliment Ireland's food and got it right, actually, when he said that um, it's a bit pricey by local standard in the sense that I think he's he's kind of trying to say that maybe the food that we're being charged and paying for in, in restaurants or gastropubs or whatever in Ireland is the kind of prices he might expect to play to pay in much bigger uh, cities uh, around the world. But he said some places, and he spoke about Cork, and he said some places look tatty in Cork. I thought that Cork, um, although I love the English market, but he said that the buildings look tired downtown apparently uh, and I wonder is there much truth in that you know that Cork 
looks tired and that some of the places look tatty. Depends where he went, I suppose. Uh, maybe he's referencing places, you know, maybe that need a bit of TLC, like the North Main Street, perhaps, or maybe even Patrick Street itself is what he's referencing. But I wonder if he got to walk up and down Oliver Plunkett Street. He wouldn't say the same about that. But I, but I mentioned it, actually, to see if you agree with him, that Cork looks tired and some of the buildings look um, you know, tatty. Because before I was away, I came across a girl called Margot Hamacher, who's a globe trotter, trotter. Uh, and she put up online uh, six reasons not to move to Ireland. Now, I'm not going to drill into her entire article, but I just did highlight some of the points that she was making. Uh, and she says, I've lived in Ireland for quite some time now. And I suppose as I'm reading this, you're probably going to be screaming at the radio. So why don't you leave? Why don't you go back to wherever you came from if you're not happy here? But that's for another day. Uh, I tried to get in touch with her, but I got nothing back. Uh, I lived in Ireland for quite some time now. I've lived in the US, Spain and Germany. She says, I moved to Ireland for work in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, I associated Ireland with leprechauns, cute sayings and stunning nature. Um, While some of that held true, the realities of living, say, for instance, in Dublin were far from ideal. Now, um, why in the name of God anybody anywhere in the world really thinks that Ireland is full of leprechauns, right? Or indeed were full of, um, you know, crocs of gold at the end of rainbows. I have no idea. But this is a person who associated Ireland with leprechauns. Probably got very disappointed when she never came across a leprechaun. But she says, let me fill you in on the drawbacks of living in Ireland. She, she wrote this article, if anybody was considering to come here or to move here. And she spoke about the poor quality of infrastructure. I, like, she'd be so right if she was talking about the state of our roads. They are absolutely appalling. I, I can't remember them ever being as bad as they are right now. And I know that we're talking about things like the, uh, you know, the, the McCroom bypass, which is absolutely incredible and whatever they're going to do uh, with the Cork to Limerick motorway and stuff like that. But actually the roads that we drive on every single day, particularly suburban roads, rural roads, roads in and out of villages, it's absolutely shocking. She says the quality of roads, pavements, Lack of bike lanes is absolutely horrendous, she says. Potholes abound around the country, she says. If you're traveling anywhere outside of Dublin, get ready for insanely narrow two-way streets. I mean, that's got more to do with the age of our country than anything else, you know. Other people are living in cities that are maybe 100 or 200 years old. Cork-like is thousands of years old and many of our streets are there in design for many hundred years when they didn't need two lanes for arctics and buses and trucks and what have you. She says, um, uh, you can expect a lot of moisture problems if you rent an apartment or a house. You can expect cold air to get through all of the windows in your home. You should also be prepared for carpet in your kitchen and bathroom. <laughs> That's unfair. I mean, like, nobody has a carpet in their kitchen. Good God. I mean, the bathroom, maybe some still do. Maybe they still have the peach or the uh, orangey um, toiletware. She says, I lived in the centre of Dublin. Using public transport, your day will fall apart. Taking a bus through a city centre can be a pain, as painful as pulling teeth. It will take you 20 minutes just to travel one kilometre. It will be faster to walk from A to B than to step inside a vehicle. Then she went on. I'm not going through all of the different points she made, but just some of the ones that jumped out at me. 
She then moved on to our heavy drinking culture. She says the Irish sure do love their beer and whiskey. The general lack of things to do around Ireland leads to a narrow choice of social plans. Unless you want to invite your friends over to your place, your social plans have a high chance of involving alcohol. Ireland has the ninth highest rate of alcohol consumption in the world. And she reminds those that perhaps were thinking of coming to Ireland that the average Irish person drinks the equivalent of 40 bottles of vodka, 113 bottles of wine, or 436 pints of beer in a year. Now, over the space of a year, I couldn't help but think that maybe 436 pints wasn't a whole lot over 365 days. It's like a pint and a half a day kind of thing. But the 40 bottles of vodka kind of floored me, all right, I have to say. The average Irish person drinks the equivalent of 40 bottles of vodka. And she says this kind of culture can get quite repetitive and unpleasant, she says. And then she spoke about the fact that while Ireland isn't a huge country, unless you're looking to get around it, you will need a car. Uh, The best hikes, castles, valleys and lakes are only accessible by car. And then, of course, what your man from CNN was talking about, how expensive it is to eat out in Ireland. She says the average income in an Irish household is about 43,500 euro. But she says most of my friends only earn 27,000 euro. So with rent prices among the highest in the world in Ireland... The average cost of renting a one-bedroom apartment is €1,643. There's very little money left for you if you come to Ireland to go out to eat or to socialise. And then she says you might be able to find a cheap chipper or a donor kebab place to get some student food, but you won't find a sandwich in Ireland for less than €8. And then ends up by saying why Ireland shouldn't be your number one country to move to. The quality of life in Ireland is significantly lower than anywhere in Central Europe. Very high cost of living and not a high rate of income means your budget in Ireland will be tight, tighter than any other European country. And also living in Ireland can feel very isolating. I moved here on a whim for work, but I wouldn't recommend it to others, she says. Maybe. If you pick through it, there might be some truths in parts of it. But what do you think of it en masse? Accurate? Inaccurate? Fair or unfair? Text 0868104106. Right, back to the phone lines ago. And good morning. Neil, would you play Blue Moon there, please? Blue Moon? Yeah. Why would I want to do that? Explain. Ah, uh, because you're the border. You're just morning about Liverpool. You're usually on the border. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I was, only, th- I was only thinking about that this morning. I said, will I talk about Liverpool or will I talk about the yeah. cork hurlers? And I decided I'd talk about, about the... Blue Moon <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said okay. I, well, if I can get if I can get somebody to load up Blue Moon, I'll give a few bars of it. What do you think? Do ya? No problem at all. <laughs> all right. Okay, got to be fair, got to be fair. You're absolutely yeah. right, you're absolutely right. All right. Okay, as soon as I get Blue Moon... Will I sing it for you instead, Anne? You Do kept you me, sing it for me, will, yeah. you, will you sing yeah. it with me? No, I couldn't, I couldn't sing. What, what's the second line of it? Blue Moon... The clue. You got me waiting so long... I know I'm wrong. Yes, they're not with waiting the, so long enough. Uh-huh. All right, I'll track it down, all right? Fine, all right. Oh, cheers. <laughs> Terrence, good morning. Line two. Morning. There you go. There you go. Sorry, a slight delay. Morning to you. How's it going? All right. Hello. Is that, 
Can you I'm hear me? Your... About Man- I'm not listening about Manchester City now, am I? No. No, no. No, no. that's crime because I, I, I don't want to hear any more about them. Like, I mean, they managed, to, they managed to win a league title after spending a billion pounds. A billion pounds like. <laughs> yeah. Most of my days. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> Good, good luck, good, good luck to them on that. Like, you think, you, you think that if you if you spend well, a million or a billion, uh, oh, a billion, <laughs> a billion, and uh, they score they score too because because Slippy Jolly have made the wrong substitutions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so, I don't know. We, I don't we, know. Won't any, we won't say any more about them poor creatures. Okay, all right. So, okay. Well, uh, as, soon as, as soon as I track down Blue talk. Moon, I give it a little spin because it's only no, fair. We might talk about Liverpool if you like. I mean, they're after winning two cups, uh, they're second in the league. You're going to get me into the... trouble now over there. Why don't we talk, talk <laughs> about? Why don't we talk about the hurlers at Temple Stadium? Very good, very good result, wasn't it? The tip game. <laughs> that they destroyed. They, they destroyed the team that would have been fancy to beat them. Yeah, yeah. Long may that hold them, hold them off, hold them out of it. I watched that as well as uh, keeping an eye on what was happening over in Liverpool. Like. Yeah, I know, I know, but, uh, I know. A lot of sports um, of the weekend. Anyway, you oh, wanted yeah. to talk, you wanted to pick up on the cost of living, wasn't it? Well, not so much as, as the cost of living, uh, uh, as the spoiling cost of of uh, accommodation. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, that, it's all tied into the cost of living, but go ahead anyway. Well, well, it, well, it is, yeah. But you see, I've been listening there over the last while now your program there and a lot of emphasis is put on people not being able to afford a mortgage right people not being able to get I hate these buzz phrases but are there on foot on the property ladder right now it's very hard for people to get their foot on the property ladder when they're working for peanuts when they're working for Minimum rate, or slightly just above it. Agreed. And they haven't got, a, they haven't got a, a, anything other than a contract to offer. If they do go looking for a mortgage, correct. And that contract could be a contract of work for like twelve months, and a bank won't touch that. Or six months. Six months, really? Oh yeah, yeah, as much as six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now uh, then, if you go to some of the major supermarkets. You have people working on, still today, working on no contract hours. Right? So you know, what that, you know what that six-month contract then, turns? Um, is it just automatically renewed at the end of six months, is it? Not at all, not at all. It's a, it's a, it's a way out of, of paying redundancy, of if anything goes wrong. Because all you need to do is keep this person on a contract for so long, then somebody else bringing somebody else at the end of twelve months or two years or whatever the case may be, and start the fresh again. Yeah, you have the same person doing the same thing. There's no, there's there, there's no future. What type of employment would that be then? Is that primarily in retail? Well, Is it in tech? Is it in pharma? Where where exactly would contract work be? It's in more. It's in most. It's the most part of all I now. Like, like I'll give an example. My daughter had she had a very good she had a very good job with uh, 
with an American film here. Massive job, actually, she yeah. had. Yeah, And, yeah. um... For one reason or another, she decided to opt out, right? And, uh... Going to business for her husband, which she did. But the job that she had, she started off in that job as a product builder. And after being sent to America to be trained, was brought back here. Then over the next two years, she kind of built up her standing inside this company. Yeah. Uh, to the fact, actually, to the to the extent, actually, that herself and another few were sent back out to America to train some of the to retrain some of the people that trained her. Right, and what happened ultimately? Well, ultimately, there is no ultimately. Everybody that was employed at the same time as her had a future to look forward to. They were there. And once they were there, they were there for life if they chose to be. Yeah, yeah. Right? But that changed then over the years where there was, and uh, there was, um, I'm not sure, have I got, have I got the right word for it? No, but there was a company brought in, a recruitment company is what I'm looking for, brought in to employ people. Right, okay. They offered only a contract. So big and companies moved away from hiring directly themselves for, for for reasons that we're trying to drill into now, brought in recruitment yeah. companies to do the hiring yes. for them. Yes. Um, and those recruitment companies then hired people on behalf of companies on fixed contracts. Yes. Okay. Okay. Which which were negotiable. Once the contract was up, and is up. there a lot of companies now using recruitment companies to do their imagine, hiring? I would imagine so. I wouldn't have my finger and on the pulse. And what's the benefit right behind it? You can get rid of the staff well, member if they're no good, is it, or what? Of course, yes. Of course. Look, when 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 I took when when I came when I when I came for time for my daughter to move on, which I, which was totally helped by her choice now. When I came for her, which and which is not a very long time ago. She ended up with a very lucrative package to walk out the door. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, as I said, she was going into her own business but, anyway. But how does that relate then to people on short-term six-month contracts who will never, ever, ever get even a nod or a wink from a bank if they're looking for money? They, they won't. But I mean, there is, there, there is an option. There is an option for those people, but it's just not been exercised. Because again, like multi-million pound businesses are taking are, are taking up the land. They're being they're land grabbing, right? And there's no government have in Ireland has ever done anything about it in the last twenty five years. And what land are they grabbing? How do you mean? They're what are they doing? Well, we've had instances of council land being bought by uh, private developers. Right? Yeah, we we've saw had, that a couple of months had. back on the north side, yeah. But all that is yeah. to extend, th- like, let's say if that happens with Apple, right? That will make Apple bigger. They'll employ more. They will, on contracts. Yes, you're right there. And they'll make more money. Yeah. But yeah. people will still be with our houses. Yeah. 
So the so, old, so, so it's the old-fashioned nine to five, thirty-eight hour, thirty-seven hour week, whatever it is now. That's a thing of the past. Thing of the past, gone, done, gone, gone, gone for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, unless you have, unless you have qualifications, though, unless you have qualifications and very good qualifications that are. Your future is not too bright in this country. Right, right, okay. And we know that now, like, I mean, people can ring in the house and say, I'm down from my house or whatever. I don't mind, but it's a fact of life. So when you hear of a four, nearly a half a billion euro development plan for Merck in Carrick Tool and, and Blarney, where they're... Uh, big, big expansion plans planned there over, a, you know, it's going to create maybe 370 more jobs. Um, is that good news? Anything that will get people to work is good news. Of course it is. But there has to be something at the end of the day for the people that go to work in these places. But you see, when, I hear, of, when I hear of announcements like this, and, they're all, and it's all very well, and it'll make Cork a bigger and better and thriving place. But I can't help but think, where are they going to live? Well, they're going to live... As, uh, uh, no, no, no. We're going, you see, the, the, uh, just like I said, just like I said, there's been, no build, there's been no building plan by any government for social, social and, for, and affordable housing, mm. right, over the last 25 years, 30 years even longer than that, go back 40 years, the last two decent estates that were built in this city as far as I'm aware are Model Farm Road and Coyne Estate. Okay, and you're saying so, that the, that nobody will be able to afford an apartment with a starting price of 1.1 million. Where did you see that, Terence? I didn't say, I didn't say, but if you, what I call the city end of uh, Model Farm Road, if you're heading towards Denny's Cross, yeah. there's a service station on your right hand side if you're coming in from Ballin College. That's right. Yeah. Across the road from that service station, there's a new development there. I think there was an old house, or maybe two old houses there, and they were knocked down, and apartments were built there. Yeah. Now, I was talking to a person there about a week ago, maybe a bit more than a week ago who lives in the model farm road for the last 45 years, who's living in the model farm road. I said to him about a new apartment, said I had passed and seen them. This, he said, actually, he said, the Stafton Place, he said, it's 1.1 million euros. Must be some apartment for that, though. There must be. There must be. No, maybe, maybe he was, maybe he was not quite accurate. Could have been 900. Could have been 900,000. I'd have to but check that. I'd have to check that out. Money, so I'd right? have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an yeah. apartment. Yeah, I know. That's an apartment. No, they're, they're, they're would you? Would apartment. you? Would you have the county councils and the city councils going back to building their own? Remember the NBA? Well, we'll go back to building their no, own house. No, don't don't get sign it across. That's what destroy this country. That they build shanties. They build shanties. Chicken coops. The NBA. Before that, we had a direct labour. We had a direct labour scheme, who built the likes of the north side. No, of the I'm not suggesting the, the flats city. that you know. I'm not talking about the flats that were built like shoe houses. Yeah, out of houses that were built by them. I lived in the flats for for eight and a half years. A brother of mine lived in one of the houses. The, the houses were as bad as the flats. 
there were paper tin. You could, uh, the breeze would come through the water. Yeah, yeah. it was they hard, was horrible. It? They yeah. were horrible. They were terrible. They were the worst built properties ever in the history of this country. We had, as I said, before that we had uh, we, we had a direct labour scheme. We had built all the north side of the city, all of Ballyfeehan, and a good chunk of Tobin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Places like Greenmount Crescent. That's they right. were all built. They were all built by direct labour. Where the council employed them directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what we called it, what we call, we used to call the new path, Greenmount, which would be over Townsend Place, Mount Sion Road, Mount Carmel Road. All these were built by direct labour. Fine houses. Then you went into the era of the MBA. Which would be the flats. Who built these, yeah. Yeah. Who, who built these shanties. Right? Which is all they were. And if I insult anybody by calling them shanties, I'm saying it from experience. I lived in one of them for eight and a half years. Mm, mm. Right. At the tail end of that, they employed builders to build Model Farm Road. And uh, which at the time would have been a corporation estate and Corrigan estate. Which would have been at the time a cock operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Now I lived for seven and a half years in Corrigan Estate, and I can tell you that I've never lived in a better house than the house that was there. Big front garden, big back garden, everything you required. Are people still living in any of those NBA flats? Are they all knocked now? Well, they're not all knocked down. Uh, some of them were refurbished, others were knocked down. But nobody would be living in them in their original now. condition now, would they? No, they wouldn't be in their original condition. Millions of euros were spent That's on right. refurbishing yeah. them, that kind of. Rightly so, of course, yes, if people choose to live in them. But, uh, but what? But I suppose the point that okay, th- and that's important that the social housing and people that can't afford their own home are provided with one at cheap rent. I understand that. But for somebody wanting to buy their own home, that's never going to happen on a short-term contract on thirty grand a year. Yeah. That, no, it is. It's not because right. like there's no incentive. Look, I tell you now. All right. Thirty, maybe thirty-two years ago, or thirty-three years ago, we decided that we'd buy our own home, our own house, right? And all alternatives were to buy the house we lived in in Corraheen, which were the cost, may I think, at the time, around, I don't know, the bones of 35 or 40,000 euros. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or I could avail of a scheme that was brought out, an incentive scheme that was brought out, was that if you surrendered a local authority, a house, you were given a 5,000 pound grant now that might not all seem a lot no but at the time it would have been and I just I just want to buy it I had a certain amount of money myself and with a 5,000 pound grant I was able to get a very small mortgage of 5,000 pounds again off the county council right not off the city council okay yeah but off the county council and I bought my house out here in Ballancolic for 19,500 euros. Now, I had got nearly, well, I had got much more than a quarter of that 
of the government. Yeah, yeah. Surrender the corporations. Yeah. And when I surrender the corporations, obviously somebody got it. Yeah, okay, okay. So I moved on. As people moved into the, to the niche that I left. And obviously they had left the property because they were on the waiting list. So it was a, it was an opposed effect. All these things are gone now. Oh, There's no interest in it. Yeah. There's no interest in it. The likes of Mumbly, Mick and Leo and the rest of them, they, these guys, they have no interest. Well, they Michael says, I don't know whether Michael's coming on the air and he says the government don't know what they're doing, but they don't know whether they're coming they, or going they, and they're only interested in in being elected at the next general election. They're not even interested in that anymore because they have, they have, they have, they have the population of this country rattled, right? They have the Greens and they have Finnefoyle calling the shots in this country after they land the country into the ground and enslaved or, or children and grandchildren with debts. All right. I need like, to get... Uh, it's, a, it's only a joke. Right. It's only a joke that they should be there. Okay. Covered should, a lot of ground. The okay. party should have been disbanded years ago. Oh, Finnefoyle should have been disbanded. Finnefoyle and the Greens, they should, have, they should have been pushed out of politics. They should never again have been allowed to stand, to stand in an election after what they've done to this country. All right. They lied. They lied. They lied up to the time. Lenin lied up to the time when he could lie no more. They lied to this country while they were slowly making plans to bankrupt, to bankrupt the country and enslave our, our children and, as I said, our grandchildren. All right. Okay. And this. All right. That's what they've done. All right. Thanks, they, Terrence. If they, they, they got a chance, this crowd, including Martin, Ryan, and like, they're prosecuted for being poor. That's, the, that's how bad they are. All right. They're okay. prosecuted for being poor. Let me get some more calls on the air. Thank you for your contribution. Covered a lot of ground. Text 0868-104-106, particularly on contract employment, where it seems as if more and more companies now are using, as we covered there, employment agencies are um, those that do the hiring and the firing for the company uh, and on short-term contracts. And, of course, that in itself then means that you'll never, ever, ever um, get a decent mortgage. You'll never get a bank loan. You'll never get a whole lot because you don't have any security or tenure when it comes to your job. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Yes, indeed. Uh, my apologies. Why is Neil spreading panic again over monkeypox, saying it's highly contagious when it can only be spread by close bodily contact? My apologies if I use the word highly contagious. I thought I said contagious. Sorry about that. It's not highly contagious. So, my bad. Um, it requires a contact tracing for sure it does. It's a contagious disease. It's not a highly contagious disease. The risk is very, very low indeed. Uh, I passed that on and corrected because I don't know if you're putting the fear of God in anybody. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it's important for somebody to correct me if I use wrong terminology. Sorry about that. If I said highly contagious, it should have been contagious. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And for many people to look forward to the summer, of course, and the change in the seasons, but not as I was talking about last week, somebody with hay fever. Interesting text on that. In relation to the hay fever conversation you had on the air, I suffer terrible with it. And I've had days where I couldn't stop sneezing and my eyes would be constantly watering. 
But last year I started making nettle tea with spring nettles and I added a bit of honey for taste and I hadn't one bad day last year. I'm a farmer, so silage grass and hay would always affect me big time, but not anymore. It's a simple but effective solution for hay fever. I hope you get to pass it on. Can't come on air as I'm at work, but it might just help others suffering with this. So thank you for that, Mr. Farmer Man. Um, Last year, he started making nettle tea with spring nettles. Now... What what if spring nettles or nettles full stop aren't available to people? I mean, uh, is there any kind of a product that might be replicating that in a health shop, for instance, or in a health food shop? Uh, but apparently it worked for him, and that's spring nettles. Would any nettles do? Uh, adding a little bit of honey for taste, I guess you just literally put the nettles into a teapot. Is that the way it is? A couple of scoops of honey in there? And have it daily. Anyway, did the business for him. Uh, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And, you know, some texts from last week that I didn't manage to get to. It a very interesting conversation with uh, Dr. Richard Hogan, who, among other things, was saying, when you dwell too much on something and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, and that includes wellness and, indeed, depression, that in itself, then, can lead to more people, of course, believing that they themselves are in fact struggling when a lot of the time it's just the natural wear and tear of life and life can be tough and it's always fair. Uh, Well done, at least a little bit of sense about this issue, getting children and teens into sport where they have less time to think about what label they should be carrying in the first place would be a good way forward. Sport. Uh, You know, schools never stop talking about anxiety, cutting and depression, Neil. Putting thoughts into kids' heads, I believe, and it's driving me crazy. One or two more on that. Dr. Hogan has hit the nail on the head. Never saw it like that, to be honest, but he's absolutely spot on. He should be an advisor to a minister for health, if not the actual minister. Too much talk about negativity regarding health, wellness and depression. I agree 100% with the caller saying there's too much focus on mental health. That term and anxiety is used so freely now. And also the term that's being used that wrecks my head is it's okay not to be okay. Kids are very vulnerable. And when they see these terms, they focus too much on it. And maybe some think, oh yeah, there's something wrong with me as well. The focus should be on talking to someone if you're not feeling okay. Edel says, that's the best analysis I've heard about the current crisis with our young people. It's so true. Uh, Morning, I recently watched a Sky documentary. It was called True Crime 84 to 2020. It followed three people in New York who were addicted to drugs. It should be shown to young people today as it really showed what drugs can do and what the future holds for them very, very little. So there's those and lots more besides, and I'll jump in and out throughout the course of the morning. Some are suggesting of course that our politicians haven't a clue what's going on in this country, and they haven't for a long time. Somebody was saying to me last week that if they spent less time in the Dáil Bar they might actually get more work done. Um, And I mentioned last week that I believe that the Dáil Bar is actually acting as a she-bean. I actually think it doesn't actually have Um, a bar license or a publican's license or a license to sell liquor. Maybe we should close it. Linda, good morning. Good morning, Neil. And just on on that topic, actually, do you think that the doll bar should be closed? Well, you know, I listened to a lot of the debate last week on whether it should be open or whether it should be closed. Here's an example. Shut it it down. They They had a bar during lockdown and publicans were struggling to pay bills because they closed them down. One law for them and screw the rest of us. The sooner they close it down or indeed even if we should have a general election, the better for all of us. That kind of a comment. 
Well, no, I wouldn't go that far because I heard a lot of the arguments for keeping it open, which was the networking and the hanging out and the downtime and the members only. But what I didn't hear suggested is keep it open but take the alcohol out. There's nothing wrong with a nice cozy place to have an alcohol-free beer, an alcohol-free cocktail. And let's just minimize the impact of alcohol on society and let's not make it so essential. Do you think any TD minister or senator would go anywhere near um, an alcohol-free bar? I don't know, but a couple of them I heard last week saying they don't even drink in there. They go for a coffee. So it's an opportunity. That would make it a cafe, though, though, wouldn't it? Exactly. That would make it a cafe, not a bar. But you could keep some of the... You know, the accoutrements that go with the bar. And what's wrong with having an alcohol-free beer? There's nothing wrong with it, but any any pub, to the best of my knowledge, that flipped to an alcohol-free bar failed. This is true, but it is an opportunity maybe to spearhead something that might take on, might catch on. Just a thought. I just think we need to move away from the all-or-nothing mentality, a bar or no bar. Yeah. Why can't we... Maybe have something in between. Yeah, okay, good point. I mean, there was a story there some time, but I don't know if they've cleared their bar tabs, but quite an amount of TDs had fairly hefty bar tabs that weren't being paid. Well, now I'm certainly not in support of that, and I certainly don't support continuing without a bar license. It was just the whole idea, does it have to be shut down completely, or can it be repurposed? So an interesting text, actually, on alcohol-free beer. You might be interested in this. You might flag something on your show. I went to the Cork Tip game yesterday, and in the Heineken stall at Semple Stadium, it had zero alcohol, non-alcoholic beer advertised. Um, it says here it had 0.0 beer, non-alcoholic. The outside tent by the dome didn't do it and needed the, the, the dome itself, even though they had advertised the alcohol zero. I was told they didn't do it. In this day and age, you would think that they would have it. Not everyone wants to have a proper beer. I felt out of place as all my friends were having something and also not one stall opened inside for food. It was shocking up there at Semple Stadium. But just on the point of alcohol-free beer, um, that's becoming hugely popular, so much so that a lot of pubs run out of it. Would you believe it? Yeah, I, I would believe it. And some of the selections are terrible. And yet some places, if you go to the supermarket, there is a huge selection available. The publicans just haven't taken it up. Yeah, but the Heineken Zero has proved to be hugely popular. And it's good. I mean, I, I'm i just as happy with an alcohol-free beer, and I am an alcohol drinker, but if I'm going out having a beer or if I'm driving, I'm quite happy with and it. Would you, do you notice the difference between, say, a regular Heineken and a Heineken Zero? Do you know something? I actually get quite a buzz off an alcohol-free you know beer. I met someone <laughs> last week who said the same to me. They get the same buzz from alcohol-free as they would, say, a bottle of Heineken. And I don't know if it's just like a memory thing or it kicks off something in the cellular memory, but it's like, yeah, it's like I'm drinking beer. Yeah, and five years ago, you know, you would be hard pushed to find alcohol-free beer inside in the pub, but now they're uh, run out I of it. I think Erdinger was always around and I used to like that. The only thing that hasn't caught on, and some of the spirits are quite good, but the alcohol-free wines are still brutal. They're still brutal, but tell me about alcohol-free gin. I've tried it and I like it. Okay. Uh, yeah. What about what about alcohol? Isn't there an alcohol? F- yeah, I t- I've tried a pint of the alcohol-free Guinness, and it's pretty good. Have you had that? Pr- yeah, I have. It's pretty good. I've tried the cider. It's awful. I may I prefer Sidona. Um, 
I guess alcohol free cider probably is Cydona, is it? It is, exactly. That's what it is. But if I put two pints of Guinness up in front of you, the Guinness regular and the Guinness zero, I bet you wouldn't know the difference. I'd say I wouldn't until I'd had a few. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm not against against drinks. Okay, Okay, bye. thank you. But she isn't against drink, but she says that it should be an alcohol-free dog bar. We'll pick up on that after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 Red FM. The uh, properties that have been built out in the western suburbs that uh, Terence was referring to are not apartments, I'm told. They're actually luxury houses. He was talking about a, p- a price point of in and around a million, not for apartments. They're luxury houses. Happy to correct that. Meanwhile, to the phone lines we go. Jim, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you, I was you, talking this morning about more and more people, of course, um, using their properties and availing of uh, Airbnb. And we did this some weeks back where there's very few actual houses available for rent on daft.ie, but there's thousands of properties on Airbnb. Um, and one of the yeah. reasons, you believe, is because um, the pressure that landlords have been put under, is it? Landlords have been put under service pressure uh, by the councils to upgrade their homes. Now, these might be simple upgrades like venting or something like that. So a lot of them are either doing the Airbnb or they're selling up. But the downside to this, Neil, is that if you get a letter in the door from the council's agents who are now taught... The but the chances group, are um, you won't because I think it's less than... It's only a tiny percentage of landlords have actually got anything to do with the letter saying you need to upgrade your property. Tiny amount. It's, oh, it's coming, it's there, and people are selling. Like you've landed all selling their properties at the moment because they have been, um, the properties have been viewed by the Thornton Group and Cork County Council. And they're, all, they're only starting with the HAP people on HAP. So if you're in the home and you're getting HAP and it's a rented accommodation, you get a letter in the door for an inspection, the chances are you're going to be homeless. If that property isn't up to scratch, and I'm talking about small stuff, because the, the landlord will be fined, summoned, and they'll sell. So they believe the council and the Thornton Group will make you homeless. And what? Well, the Thornton Group, to defend them, are only doing the work they've been asked to do Absolutely. and, and been Absolutely. tasked to do by the councils. But what kind of work are people being forced into doing? Is it all to do with windows, is it? Um, well, windows and hatches and venting is a big thing, you know. They, they, they want everyone to have a four-inch hole in the room to leave the cold air in. It's bad enough. We can't afford the heating. No, they want to leave cold Why air in. Why in the name of God are, doing, are they doing that? I mean, that's just bringing in cold and draft. But yes, yeah, there you are. That's going back to the 80s, the design in the 80s. That's Cork County Council and the government being very, very slow catching up because you can have uh, ventilation, heat recovery units in homes. They're not even looking modern. They're looking at old stuff. But that's typical government and county council. Like, very slow, very slow catch up. Like. So anybody that's got a, um, that's a landlord of a HAP property can expect a visit and an inspection that could what? Cost them thousands? Oh, it could cost them anything up to 20,000. No problem. And that'll be only on small stuff. So that's why guys are selling up. So like, if you're, if you're in a rented house and you get that letter in from the Thornton Group or from the council, don't answer the door. <laughs> you could be homeless. And do you, you know, know if landlords have just decided to just sling their hook? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's not paying them. Between the taxes now and between that, um, this is another way of getting families out of homes. And on top of that, then the council will have no problem buying that home afterwards. So that's happening as well. So... It's it's just it's uh, it's unbelievable what's happening over here, crazy. Okay, and I okay. come across this all the time. Okay, but I've could it be it. could it be important work that's need needs doing though? Where, where you might have a family absolutely. in a dangerous house with regards to electrics and water and things. And gas, absolutely. Those things should be done anyway, and they're they're illegal if you have a wrong. But 
yeah, those things are fine. But overall, the small stuff is just as bad now as the big stuff with council. So it doesn't matter but what, what but you get wrong, what's wrong, you're going to be fine. Yeah, but what about slum landlords who just never, ever put a penny into a property? And people, I talk to them all of the time. They're tearing their hair out with the conditions they're living in. Yeah, well, they should be t- automatically shut down. But I'm on about the average home, no need. That, that, well, there's no point putting everybody in the same basket here. You can't treat a good landlord who has a small few problems the same as a slum landlord. That's not fair. That's, that's just not right. The slum landlord should be fined and should be taken out of the business straight away. I've no do problem with you, do that. Do you think that's why an awful lot of people who have properties have gone over to Airbnb? Because the, the same rules it don't apply. Course. And also it they can make substantially more money. Right, that's there as well. Um, I mean, I came across a girl there that came in lately from abroad, young engineer and a child and a husband. They're in the city here on Airbnb. They can't get accommodation, just can't get a house. And they want to stay here. And I'd say they're going to have to go away. So if there's anybody who has a property... Give him my number and I pass it on to him. Well, forget him. about yeah, that, I'd say, when you have like an announcement. Yeah, but where, like, for instance, you know, the Merck story where upwards of 500 people are going to be employed with a big, massive expansion. Where are they going to live? Well, we won't be able to build fast enough. We need skyscrapers, Neil, in the city. We need them up. Like, oh, is no good. We have to go up. And the council should be fast tracking that. You know, not this big, massive lands and homes. It's too much. Half a million pounds for the house. Forget about it. Up we have to go, not, not out. Okay, all right. I mean, let's uh, just do it. Yeah. Well, last week we were talking about the state of our city, where above all of the businesses in the city, there are floor upon floor upon floor of empty buildings. Yeah, but in Cork it's different than we say in most places in Europe. A lot of these old buildings um, like have, have an awful lot of problems of wet rot and dry rot, and they're unstable. You can see them falling down. So it's not just a matter of moving people in. It's a complete retrofit in these buildings, which is very expensive But don't as well, you think you know? it would be a lovely thing to see families living in the city? Or am I... Yeah, and some, but it has, they have to be right. The buildings have to be right for them. Okay, you all know, right. The fire eggs and all that. So there's a way to do it as well. Not all right. Just look at the pretty picture. Thanks, Jim. If they didn't spend so long in the door bar, maybe they might be able to make some decisions that will impact positively on people's lives. Anyway, that's just my own thought on it. We should call time on this government, never mind the door bar. The majority of politicians are only interested in the money. They certainly don't care about the working class people people of this country. Uh, it shouldn't even be a debate if the license, if the bar in the doll isn't even licensed. It's another example of one rule for them, another rule for the rest of us. All the big decisions, Neil, regarding water charges and everything else have been decided in the doll bar. It should be shut down. Um, it's not licensed. It promotes an image in Ireland that we'd rather not have anymore. Mind you, they do have uh, bars in, um, in the UK. I mean, uh, the House of Commons is bars, isn't it? All of the um, I mean, there was a lot of talk about that over the last few weeks with a fellow scrolling porn in, inside in the chamber. Apparently he had come from uh, one of the one of the House of Commons bars. Uh, should call time on the doll in general, I think, not just the bar. Close the whole place, get rid of the corruption that goes on in there. Yes, it should be closed. They should be paying for their own drink like everyone else. I think they pay for it, but I believe it's subsidised. Uh, should there be drink available in the doll where some of the most critical decisions are made affecting people's lives? Well, that's a humdinger of a question. If politicians want to drink, they can after work go to the pub of their choice just like anyone else and pay the same price for their drink as everyone else how is this even a question this is insanity it must stop pampered entitled politicians who know nothing of the real everyday struggles of the people uh, and they'll make decisions in the interest of 
not those people. They will make decisions in the interests of those who keep them in the comfort they're accustomed to. Isn't it abundantly obvious that it's exactly what's happening in, co- in this country? It couldn't really be any more obvious. Uh, one or two more. It is wholly inappropriate for members of the Dáil to be drinking on the public's money in the building where they're supposed to be representing us. Simple as that. If they want to keep their illegal she-bean, they should abolish the need for liquor licences everywhere to level the playing field for other people's custom to serve alcohol also without a license. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, big response actually with regards to the Dole Bar. Just another selection of texts and back to the phone lines. What other workplace has a bar, especially a bar without a license? Why is there one rule for them and another rule for the rest of the country? This country is being more divided every day. I say shut it down. One or two more. Absolutely, it's bad enough having tools running the country, but twisted tools, they're only good for screwing us. Uh, no license, subsidized by the taxpayers, bills not being paid, might explain some of the crazy ideas that come out of there. They're drunk out of their heads on cheap drink. Should there not be, should not be there in the first place? How many of us have a bar in the workplace? Uh, Neil, maybe we should call time on the doll full stop. They're hardly ever there. If it's not licensed, it should be shut down straight away. If I decided to set up a bar in my back garden charging my neighbours, I could definitely expect a visit from the Gardaí. Why is this bar any different? Ah, oh, yeah, because they're politicians. Uh, they were fast enough to shut down homemade bars around the country that didn't have a licence. Uh, one or two more, they're there to run the country and they can drink, but someone making a sandwich at a deli can't drink on the job because it impairs their abilities. Give me a break. Neil, just for the record, there are nearly 30 bars in the UK Parliament. Not sure if they have any licences. Probably not. In the 1980s, an estimated 10% of MPs were alcoholics. Well, if that was in the 1980s, I wonder what the percentage is now. Make them all drive themselves. No more free travel. No more drivers. There'd be no bar open then. Uh, This week, details emerged of just how much was spent in both bars at Leinster House during, as an example, the abortion debate. With the two bars combined, the turnover was €300,000 for the year. A restaurant, a canteen and a coffee dock. Where does the money actually go? And one final one, they're allowed to drink on the job, but I remember not even being allowed to take a spoonful of cough syrup when I worked in a supermarket because they regarded me as being under the influence. I wonder is the fact that the doll bar doesn't have a license, the fact that if it did have a license, then it would be a public bar, and that would then mean that members of the public could go in there to drink, and they'd never want that. So maybe that's the reason it doesn't actually have a license, to keep the public out. Lines open on 0818104106. I did mention to you last week with regards to uh, driving tests and the different parts of the country where it's best to take a driving test where you have a better chance of passing. Cork isn't a good place by all accounts. Recent survey found that half of learner drivers taking their test in Cork are being failed. I wondered, did that mean that the driving standard in Cork actually is getting worse and worse? And I was curious just to get your thoughts on what you witness as a driver, like bad driving habits or reckless drivers or drivers who just haven't a clue what they're doing. And I'm not just limiting it to roundabouts where there's all sorts of mayhem caused. A lot of the people to ask in this regard are taxi drivers. Bobby, good morning. Come on, What? Come on, how long are you driving a taxi now? Okay, okay. And in those 30 years, notwithstanding that there are more cars on the road than ever before, how would you sum up driving habits in Cork? Um, 
there can be quite bad at times. Rush hours, there are no people are panicking, or, you know, to get to work. People are trying to make hospital appointments. They are panicking because some of the people there that, that, that have a hospital appointment are probably waiting 12 months. And then if they're late, they could be waiting another 12 months. And, they, they break a few rules of the road. They have not a choice. Okay, they, but you can't you can't say that every break everybody breaking a red light or enter, entering a yellow box is chasing a uh, hospital. Well, you see, Neil, that's not up to the the, 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 the the people to say that drivers are, are bad drivers. Well, where, where are, are, are the guards? There's no guards on the street. There's no people who can do what they want. So. They scranted, blame the drivers, but blame, blame the politicians for not having more girls on, on the street that they put the drivers in, in, in order, really. So they do, there's they, no they, fear they of being caught then, like? Well, there's no, there's, there's no fear of being caught. There's, 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 there's no fear of being caught. They, they can do, do what they want. But, like, uh, the, the, overall, it's, it's not that bad. But rush hours, we can see it. Even, even ourselves, we get people into the car, they're looking in a rush for a hospital appointment. We do our best, but we, we try not to break the law. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I suppose in that case, people are just miscalculating the time that's needed to get from A to B. I mean, you probably would know better than most, but on a couple of occasions that I've had to get across town, Unfortunately, fortunately, any t- any time after yeah. f- maybe yeah. four four fifteen, yeah. you can need to give yourself an hour. No, we always had a problem with traffic in Cork. Always for years, as long as I can remember. No, when you have a problem with traffic, you try and fix the problem. In the last few years, the problem, the the people in charge. No, I think it's the NTS kind the shots, not the city hall, but. They're making the problem worse. They're taking away lanes instead of adding lanes to get traffic out of the city quicker. It's, it's, it's unreal. We Patrick's key, they're digging it up to put pushbike lanes in there after spending a hell of a lot of money to lay all the new footpaths. Neil, I, I'm and in is a that leading then people to... Yeah, I know, I'll let you go. That's probably then leading right. to people to um, block junctions, isn't it? And chase red lights. Well, it, it, is, it is, Neil. And it, it, there's, there's no one out there watching anything. There's no, no control over anything. Neil, I'm sorry. Gotcha, I got another call anyway. Have a good day, Bobby Lynch, the taxi driver. Darren, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How, How are long you? are you um, doing driving testing lessons? Lessons. I'm doing driving lessons in Cork since 2006, so I've gone into my 17th year. Okay, and do you think um, that the standard of driving in Cork has gotten worse? No, I like to be honest about it. I think the standard of driving at the start is all got to do with lack of experience. Like we have an EBT program now where people have to take 12 lessons, and the biggest issue that I and other driving instructors that I'm talking to have an issue with is. Parents think they have nothing to do when you buy 12 lessons and Johnny or Mary should get their license. Whereas you need to do a minimum of three hours driving practice in between each one of these lessons. Okay, yeah. I know, I mean, I accept that, that you're there to do a job and a very important one and then somebody gets their L and then they get their license and they move to an N and then they're a full driver and off they go. But you're driving around as well, as just as a driver. What do you notice when you're just driving your car? What I do notice when I'm just driving my car is there's three types of driver, in my opinion. There's the ones that float every law, speed, brake, lights, roundabouts. There's the ones that go into the wrong lane at roundabouts and they're 
just basically oblivious. They could be driving 30 or 40 years. And there's the ones, like, I get people coming to me taking driving lessons that I think they should be able to drive on an L-place after three hours driving experience. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. like, to be honest about it, you were on about the pass rates in Cork. The pass rates 50%, in Cork, isn't it? But like that's always been 50%. Like, I think 55% one of the Cork centres was this year... And to be honest about it, I think it was the third or fourth highest pass rate in Ireland. Yeah, no, I'm not. I understand that there, you know, there is a figure for the pass rate. I get that because a person who doesn't pass can't. I mean, they, they, they've got to go and do it again and again. But I'm talking about people who are going around driving cars with full licenses and should know better whether it's a yeah, whether it's a T junction, whether it's a yellow box, whether it's a red light, whether it's the big problem never, you're saying is roundabouts. Roundabouts and generally the rules of the road. Like I also do. Like a lot of people don't understand that I just don't do driving lessons for tests. A thing that I merged into a few years ago was court reports. And so, generally, when someone's up on a careless driving or a dangerous driving charge after an accident, there's judges would order, would order they'd go and they'd do a driver rehabilitation course. And like that's brilliant justice because someone goes away and has an accident because they drive carelessly or dangerously and they go into court and the judge is like right we won't put you off the road but we can do this driver course and, and is that where you kick in they have to do the course with you then is it yeah they'd go in they'd do an advanced driving course like for example they'd be charged with dangerous driving right and the judge would drop it to careless driving if they'd done no certain judges will do it others won't if they do a driving Course. What's the difference between careless driving and dangerous driving? It's like murder and manslaughter. Careless driving is the fact that you didn't mean to do it, whereas dangerous driving is willful, as in you just overtook on a blind bend yeah. and you just didn't care. Yeah. Whereas careless driving is more, oh my God, I overtook and I didn't realise. But if somebody does that dangerous driving and is convicted of it, where you say they took overtook somebody on a bend and just didn't care, surely they mm-hmm. should be off the road for a period of time. Absolutely. Like, I think the minimum ban for dangerous driving, Section 53 dangerous driving, would be two years. But dangerous driving is very hard to prove in courts as well. It's generally dangerous. Like, if you were, like, you hear incidents, like, for example, I've been in court where people would be, I had one person that was caught doing 180 and 120. And the judge wouldn't accept that as dangerous driving because the guard could not give any other evidence only the fact that he was doing 180. But what evidence did the guard give to to say that it was 180? Did he have a speed cam? Oh, yeah, he had a speed camera. But, like, they wouldn't accept that as dangerous driving because the guard couldn't say, well, he overtook on a blind bend. But hang on a second, 180 on 120 zone has got to be hands down dangerous driving. Yeah, well, he did get fined 750 euros now and he did get five penalty points. But, like, the judge wouldn't accept it as dangerous driving because there was no other evidence only for the facts that he was, the speed that he was doing was okay. 180. I mean, I, I just find that bizarre. But then again, I'm, I'm not in a court of law, but I would have thought oh, no. that being 60 over the speed limit would be a lot worse than careless driving. It, it, it's very hard to get a conviction on careless driving when it's just one single aspect of driving. It's generally, like, it's generally, I was behind him for two kilometres. He overtook twice on continuous white lines. There was cars coming towards him. He ran a red light. That would kind of justify five g- things. So he'd need to be doing 180, running a red light, talking to a phone held up to his ear, is it? 
yeah, there'd have to be a number of incidents. Whereas generally, generally after an accident, when someone has a bad accident, and another thing that happens too with traffic offences and driving is people get summons for both. So, for example, if you're involved in an accident and you get done for dangerous driving, you'll also get a summons for careless driving. So they'll do Section 53 and Section 52 together. And generally, if you plead guilty to the lesser charge, the superintendent or whoever's in the court will accept that. Yeah. And would that lead then to a ban? Careless driving is a maximum of an €800 Euro fine and five penalties. All right. Whereas dangerous driving is a mandatory ban of two okay. years. Okay. Now, I do court reports for people in this situation that are ordered by judges, but I offer no legal advice. Someone would have to go to a solicitor for that. Here's know? an interesting one before I let you go. They haven't a clue how to use indicators, cork drivers. They sit in the overtaking lane like they own it. They block up parking spaces outside schools, including disabled parking spaces. They pull out of spaces without checking if anything's coming in oncoming traffic. They drive into the yellow boxes when they know there's nowhere for them to go out the other side. They go into the wrong lanes for roundabouts right, and drive people and drive across people to get to where they're going. I swear half of the drivers in Cork get their license out of a Rice Krispie box. And it's not young drivers either. The majority of people I've seen doing all of the above are in their 30s, 40s and older. What do you think of that? Well, I I do two school runs a day myself. I have one in primary and one in secondary with my own kids. And I put it this way, I've stopped giving out driving advice outside the schools. Why would you have even started... I, I I offered a, I offered a bit of driving advice once outside the school and I got an airful of it. I would have thought you would. You'd have been told you yeah. mind your own effing business. But, but exactly. what indicators? Uh, staying in the fast lane, blocking up schools, um, sitting in parking spaces limited for the disabled, pulling out into oncoming traffic, not having a clue what a yellow box. It's all true. Yeah, like to be honest about it. Like, I don't think there's any one of us out there that hasn't illegally parked at some stage, but a disabled spot's definitely a no-no. In the sense of, like, that's just something you just don't do, you know? Okay, let me get some more calls on it. Thanks, Darren. Have a good day today. No, uh, a lot of people also honing in on cyclists. Uh, I don't cycle, but I have no problem with cyclists when driving on the road. Why do drivers think they're more entitled to the road than any other user? Like a cyclist, they have as much right as anyone. Just a small bit of patience, please. It could prevent an accident or a loss of life. The lad showed me a video at the weekend, which we shared in our WhatsApp group, actually, of a cyclist who clearly had cameras up, who was cycling along on the road, nice and neatly tucked in to the edge of the road on the left-hand side, not hogging the road in any way, shape or form. And then out of nowhere comes a van. Um, and it's caught by the cyclist's camera. I think he probably had... Did he have two cameras? One back and one fourth, I think. Yes, he did. Now... I watched that video and I I think, and I'm open to question on this, that the van actually hit the cyclist's elbow. It was that close. I mean, it was just centimetres away from the cyclist and his bike. I mean, I'm not saying that it was intentional, but I can't understand why anybody would drive that closely to a cyclist where I looked at the video over and over again and I believe he actually hit his elbow. Uh, text 0868104106. Seamus, thank you for holding. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm just not sure how much of this road traffic accident you can share with me, so I'll, I'll pull you up if we get into hot water, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, I, the information I sent into your station, I redacted a lot of it, I'm sure I'm aware of. Yeah, I won't mention any. Um, okay. Okay, well, I, I don't have that in front of me, so I'm just relying on you. No, go ahead. Well, look, yeah. it's, 
look, I, I was shocked. Uh, there was a multi. I was involved in a multi-car collision uh, a number of months back, and um, I got a phone call anyway from one of the other victims uh, just there a couple of days ago, and he, he asked me, um, "Did you receive anything in the post?" I said, "Like what?" And he said, "Well, I got a bill in the post from uh, Cork County Council for three hundred and eighty euros." And I said, "For what?" And he said, "For uh, the call out of the fire brigade to attend the accident." And I said, I didn't receive anything like that. I said, you might want to check that out with the Cardi. That might be a, a scam, you know, or a scam letter demanding a, a payment and a, for an emergency service. So, uh, of course, I went to the door and I just checked the post. And just as you said it, like just after you mentioned it, I did receive a, a bill in the post from the Cork County Council's fire department um, requesting 380 euros for the call out of um, the fire brigade to attend uh, the scene of a multi-car collision. All right. So I was shocked when I saw this. I thought it was a bit of a scam or a joke. And I, I obviously contacted your station and the, the guys in all fairness did investigate and they got some more information and I, I contacted the, uh, the council myself. Now, when I spoke to the Cork County Council, I was told, um, I won't give any names or details, but I was told that a number of Cork County councillors uh, voted uh, back in 2019 or thereabouts to introduce this policy whereby whether or not a victim of a, of a road traffic collision uh, contacts the emergency service services, um, if they're called out to the, to the scene, the victims of the actual, uh, including whoever's involved, so anybody involved in the actual accident, will be billed uh, uh, anywhere between 360 or thereabouts euro to what can be around 500 euro per hour of attendance of emergency services at the scene. Okay, I don't, I don't have now, that paperwork, but I can think of a load of reasons why that's not a good idea. Uh, well, I, you know, just in light of the banana republic that we're living in, when I saw the spill coming in... My, my but wait a second, if you call 999 <laughs> first, right? If you call 999 yeah. and uh, you need a squad car, would the cops well, bill yeah. you 360 euro for the call-out? I don't think they Was, do. I've never does the, the, does, if you need an ambulance, do they bill you for the, the call-out? They don't, know. It's the fire department's no. So the ambulance crew are sometimes connected, depending on the district within whatever province or county you're in. They can be connected directly to back to the, the HSC, as far as I'm aware. And a lot of them are connected, are actually trained um, paramedics with the fire service. So, for example, Dublin Fire Brigade. Now, my experience with Dublin Fire Brigade and Wicklow and Wexford and so on, is that you call 999, the emergency services come out, and that's it, it's dealt with it. It's okay, and, and I'm service. actually told that Cork City doesn't bill you for a call-out for, um, you know, in, in the case of uh, a fire brigade, but the county council does. The county council does. They, they send out a bill, an invoice in the post, uh, detailing the date of the, uh, the incident, and they bill you um, anywhere between, and there's, it's, it's, it's pie in the sky, they bill you anywhere between 350 or 60 euros up to what? And when I checked it out online, up to the, 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 the amount of 500 euros. Okay, but let's just stay with the figure that your bill you got, which was 366 euro. And you say that it was a, a road traffic accident involving multiple cars, was it? Yeah. So each one of those car owners got the same bill as you? Yes. How many, how many cars? Bill. Uh, well, four in total, and um, yep, four in total. So, and that's I about fifteen hundred euro, then. Yep, yes. And now, how many fire brigades? Uh, as far as I recall, one fire brigade called out. They jumped out of the fire brigade. 
uh, had a look at the scene and asked if everybody was okay. They were gone within the space of 20 minutes and off they went. And that will incur a €1,500 Euro bill to each of the, to, to, to the well, cumulative amount of cars. Yeah, the cumulative amount <laughs> that's been charged to the victims of a uh, road traffic collision. Well, what happens if somebody dies in a road tra- traffic accident? Let's say uh, somebody's husband, wife, partner, son or daughter. Do they then send a bill to the grieving family for €366? Uh, you know, it's a very interesting one because I do not know... Now, the reason I'm highlighting this is that the, 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 when, I, when I contacted the county council, uh, there weren't of much help, so I just demanded that uh, somebody explain to me, you know, uh, like why it's been charged or who signed off on this. And obviously a group of Cork County councillors, whether they remember the thing that are going to get, they signed off on this. They signed off on this kind of, um, I, I can't even under, I, I can't even justify it. Like this is a department that's being paid by the government, okay? The fire service. And now they're billing They've signed on off on this agreement whereby they can add an extra bill for attendance at an emergency call so whether or not the if, victim calls. You know, you, you, know, you actually called 99. <laughs> somebody called 999. No, nobody called somebody, even. Somebody would have called 999. They'd see something. I mean, you're, you're caught. Uh, you a know, passing motorist might have called 999. Anyone could call. And it's, it's an act of due care. Like, you know, it's okay. public. Okay. You so if your house is on fire in the country, in the county... Yeah. You'll get a bill for three hundred and sixty-six euro for the fire. Brigade. You will apparently with uh, home insurance, and this is where the lack of discrepancy comes in, right? And I just couldn't believe—I just can't believe what I'm saying, really. But with, with the uh, if your house goes on fire, you can uh, call it out with your own home insurer, and uh, or your insurance policy will look after it. Okay, that's generally the case. But they still forward the bill out, but the insurance policy takes care of it. I'm not too sure if they get a copy. Now, the key thing in this is that the letter the Cork County Council sent out to uh, victims of road traffic collisions, okay, in no way stipulates in the document that you have a right or uh, a recommendation to forward this on to either your own insurer or the other party, uh, the third party insurer who may be at fault or part of it. I know, I understand that you might maybe get it back and you might get lucky depending on your insurance. but, but, But I would have thought that this is a public service. I mean, we that's pay enough exactly. tax. Do we actually get anything at all in this country for we the pay tax we pay? We pay income tax. We pay oh, yeah, USC. There's a whole range of taxes that we pay out there. Now, bear in mind, right, so when I, I, I did ask about it. The, the, the fire departments of any given county council within the, the, the Republic are paid fundamentally. They're paid by the government. They, they are subsidised by the government departments that roll this. It's, it's so-called part of the exchequer, service. yeah, it's part of the public yeah, part. Exactly, but they have, they, okay. the county councillors have apparently signed off a number of years back to uh, roll out a sneaky kind of stealth tax to throw out a bill of hundreds of euro per hour of attendance of emergency service. Okay, at, uh, okay we contacted the county council, <laughs> I'm told, in the department last week and are still awaiting an explanation. Uh, that doesn't yeah. surprise, surprise me, actually. I don't know no, what well, is going the, on the with only... trying to get a response from Cork County Council. I've got a couple of different queries with them. I, I, I don't know whether they're working from home or whether they're actually at work or where they're at. Well, uh, but, yeah. but I have been told by a source in the fire office that this is something that's sent out that then gets claimed back from the insurance of those responsible Okay, um, well, Dean, my, my, my point being here, right, I read the letter. Now, I can just tell you, it's an invoice that comes out on uh, the county council's headed letter demanding a payment, all right? In no way in the document does it stipulate to anybody, any of the victims, that, you know, contact your insurer or the, um, the uh, MIBI 
or uh, the um, the other insurer's policy uh, hold, um, and uh, uh, policy uh, insurer. It doesn't stipulate any of that detail in the letter. So okay. Okay. there are a lot of people out there who are like vulnerable. You know, you've elderly people out there that can be involved in a road traffic accident. They see a demand coming in and it's a quite a sneaky demand because they'll go and pay it probably and they won't claim anything back. And who pockets all that money? Your local county. Yeah, county. and I imagine that the bill will keep on being sent and then it'll become a red letter bill and then it'll be yeah, a, a court appearance. Yeah, it'll go against your credit rating. God knows what. But I, th- I just think it's absolutely okay. disgraceful. Okay. This is a so-called emergency service that people are entitled in this country after all the fact that they... I never, I never knew about that. I never knew about that. And while it's, it's not in the city council, it certainly is in the county council. Are you going to pay that bill? No, um, I, I spoke to one of the other people involved in the accident who actually contacted me that morning and he said to me, I'm not paying that bill. He actually rang the county council himself and he was in shock. He said, is this a scam? That was his reaction because I've never heard of it before in my life, a bit older than the other guy now. But he said, I told him, you know, I recommend it, don't pay it. Maybe contact your solicitor if you do have one, explain it. Even if there is a way around this where an insurer takes care of it, if we're dealing with a case where we have someone with no insurance... Okay, I know that. We've covered that. But what what happens if this does not go away? They keep looking for the money from it. Well, if this does not go away, they keep looking for their their payments, apparently. That's it. And you will get the red letter... uh, Yes, the the, the red letter letters of the red board letters. But the, the, the problem here... Aside from that, there's no there's no transparency in the document. You should be told, especially if you're vulnerable in society, and there's many elderly vulnerable people who may be involved in accidents here and there, and they do, they do happen. And their instinct reaction will be to go and pay it and keep it quiet. And so we don't want that hanging over us. Okay. When okay. They should, it should okay. be stipulated clearly okay. in the letter. That Let's you don't see if anybody else has got these kind of bills. It's I'm quite sure they have. Uh, somebody says here by text that there is a 100 euro flat fee for calling an ambulance. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. What, Neil, can I just ask you, what does an emergency service mean in this country now? Well, it means you pay for it if you call it. <laughs> That's what it means. I mean, there, well, there is, there is an, there's an accident and emergency charge that you're supposed to pay when you go to A&E. I think it's like yeah. 80 euro or something. So That's really, right. nothing's free. Nothing's provided by taxation here. Full stop. Well, what are we paying taxes for? Like, I remember back in the day, you'd ring 999. You were actually encouraged to ring 999 if you saw 999 if you are a party to an accident or saw an accident that was quite horrific or whatever. And, uh, you know, the understanding is that this is a government, this is a government, a department pay by the government. All right. And they come out and do a job. But no, 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 they have the right now because of uh, the willpower of uh, local county councillors and God knows where they are. And, you know, their names aren't coming out yet either. Like, who signed off on this? And now to bill people, and this is not just a one-off flat fee. This, this bill is an hourly rate. Or part of an hour. Well, you know, what happens if there's a, you know, as we, we've seen, we've heard of accidents take place through the tunnel and God knows where else in Cork. And they hold up traffic for a number of hours. So if you're in something that the ambulance, or the, sorry, the fire brigade had to say for more than an hour... It's yeah. the clock is ticking into the second the hour and the third ticking, hour. Yeah. Okay, all so right. The message, the message out there to victims is when they get a letter like this, oh my God, don't att- don't ring the emergency services services if you haven't got the three hundred maybe or. That's pretty much what they're saying. If you can't That's afford to call us, don't, don't call, call us. us. Okay, thanks, Seamus. Let's see if other people have an example of that. It's news to me. I never heard of it. I did hear that there was a charge in the A and E. I'm now told that there's even a flat fee for. Is that right? That there's a call out. I didn't know there was a call out for ambulances. I mean, I. I would have thought that that's a public service. Tom, good morning. Come on, Andy. Anyway, we'll come um, back to that. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, I just taxi for you. I don't know, sir. Well, the guards, you don't see the guards in town. 
and they well, they certainly well. weren't on McCurtain Street on what night was it? Well, Thursday night when people were kicking the living daylights out of a fellow on the road. If you're going to, if you're going to the centre of the city any day and stand long enough on Oliver Funker Street or, or Patrick Street, you'll see this squad which has sent out there just to hunt the people that are begging off the streets. They come down Oliver Funker Street in their patrol wagons just tell people to move on. They also have foot patrols doing it, right? They go past Street, but they only target what are visibly Irish beggars. They don't touch the farmers. They don't see anything. They walk past them or drive and past how them. do they know the difference? Well, the difference is very obvious, like if you look at them in town. The difference is very obvious. Yeah, but I, I'm not seeing the difference in my head now. Listen to you. How would I know a foreign beggar? But but we'll put it down. We we'll put it down to a matter of complexion, if you like. And I don't want to be sounding to be a racist or anything else. But put it down to a matter of complexion. There's people are normally sallow skinned, white skinned, right? You have Romanians and you have an awful lot of other nationalities in town begging, and they're never touched. I I came over Nana Nagel's footbridge some time back after parking on the South Main Street and two Gardaí walking over there was a person who was obviously not Irish begging on the bridge they walked past that person mm-hmm. just walked past you right? saw that right yeah yeah I saw, I saw that but I also saw again what I say what are visibly Irish people being moved off that bridge for doing, exa- for doing exactly the same thing, not drinking, not fighting, not shouting and roaring, not doing heroin or smoking dope or anything like that. Just sitting there no. looking for money. Hold on, hold on, because you had us on your program before and you had some woman rang in and gave us a load of inaccuracies. She said about, about aggressive begging in town and how the, she was flooded by, flooded by beggars when she stopped stop to get something to one. Yes, it, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. That is not true. That does not happen. That does not happen. The act of begging, evidently, is to be as pathetic looking as you possibly can. Not to be as aggressive. Not to draw that Where, kind of yeah, I, yeah. I've covered oh, this from no, time to time. Good. I mean, are you in a position to wait on... Are you, can you talk to me I'm, after 11 o'clock? I, I'm going in for an appointment with the audiology department. Okay, well, I won't keep up. Okay, things. I won't keep you any further than than I have done already. But you're saying that the guards in town are only doing one thing in town, and that is targeting targeting beggars. And oh, just for the record, it's only Irish beggars. They're not doing any other work. You think? No. Okay. No. Okay. All right. Okay. okay let's get I, some more thoughts on that text. So it's six eight one zero four one zero six. We're back after eleven. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. All right. OK, well, let's be absolutely fair, shall we? I mean, you're saying that the, the, that the whole song is actually loaded up on the hotkey now. I'm going to shut up and put up. Blue
have it. I can't be accused of not giving it a good lash. So there you have it. Apparently, that's the official version. Um, it's a rocky number. It's no, you'll never walk alone, mind you, but well done and congratulations to all Man City supporters. Actually, thinking of that song, actually, it always reminded me of a, an upcoming documentary that I think is out at the back end of May. Can't wait for it. I think it's one of those docudramas, um, and it's also to do with the life and times of all those who were members of the Sex Pistols, and I think that's going to be a great watch, and the whole punky version of Blue Moon reminded me of that. Anyway, text 0868104106. We've got calls on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Yeah, we're just chatting there. What are they going to do about pitch invasions after soccer matches? It's very, very scary, particularly when you have players being assaulted and what have you, just trying to get off a pitch. It's very, very scary. Um, anyway, buddy of mine texted me, Kieran Barry says to me, if you play Blue Moon, the next time we go for something to eat, I will substitute your black pepper for chilli powder. I gotta be on red alert in more ways than one. And I go for a bowl of chowder with that fella. What is it with people anyway when, uh, when say the likes of Man City win the Premier League? Somebody said to me earlier on in the air, why wouldn't they win the Premier League and they spend a billion euro on players? It's easy to do with that. Richie says, hi Neil, he says, thank you so much, uh, for playing Blue Moon for all the five Man City fans in Cork. <laughs> Hard cases. Well done anyway, but the big one for me, of course, was the hurlers. Uh, I thought that was a fantastic result and hopefully good times to come. You know, we're talking about driving and driving habits. There's a massive response to this by text. Um, what, what are you talking about? Have you not seen cyclists cycling in the middle of the road? Well, there's all that and lots more besides. Let me go to the phone lines. I'll do some texts in a minute. Eileen, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, we were just chatting earlier on as to whether or not driving habits have got worse. There are more challenges now than ever before, more traffic around, oh. and indeed you've got people who just don't seem to understand the basic rules of the road anymore. Anyway, what are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yesterday, coming back from uh, my son had a driving lesson, a uh, driving test now is coming up soon, so he had a, a, dri- a driving lesson up around Toker, so we were driving back. He was driving driving home. Was it the family and, car? Uh, was it with an L-plate, is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. oh yeah. Yeah, yeah right. obviously the L-plate. He was driving home and coming onto the roundabout after the tunnel. He was on the right lane for, let's say, going down where we're in Cove, so you know, hitting down that, that road. Yeah. Um, and the next thing we had seen in front of us, that a car was on the right-hand side of the lane. He was actually on the wrong lane. He cut across going to Dublin that was in front oh, of us and we were God saying Jesus, was just as well there was nobody in that lane sure the next thing the same thing happened to us he was on the right lane um, there was a car on his right hand side and wanting to shoot across go on the Dublin road and he nearly blew him off the road kind of telling him you're on the wrong lane and I mean I don't know was it because he saw the L plate or something I don't know but he certainly wasn't on the wrong he lane he wasn't like, on know? the wrong lane your man no, is trying was. to go he from right to left right yeah he was Yeah. and I mean this has happened umpteen times now like I mean I'd say he would have had to obviously go around the roundabout to go back onto the Dublin road I hope he um, realised he was actually in the wrong um, but yes, yeah, saw the young driver like and kind of uh, oh feck it you know get out of my way like you're, what did you, you know? do I heard you did something oh <laughs> well I blew the horn because my son was I say he was kind of too shocked I did blow the horn and I had to you know give a little shout like you know but, you leaned um, over yeah, is it I did I leaned over and I blew the horn and um, yeah yeah just told him he was actually on the wrong lane like you know. Um, and I mean, there was a car behind us. I say blew the horn as well at the other car, you know, um, because he was, he certainly was in the wrong, like, you know. And I mean, as I was saying to my son coming home afterwards, I mean, I, I got an awful shock. He was fine. 
But I was saying, Sheeny Mac, I said, well, I said, if he, if he did bump mm. into you, I said, well, he'd be in the wrong, yeah. But he said, I have a test, a test coming up this week. I mm. wouldn't be able to take the care. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. How many lessons but, has uh, he had? Has he had the, has oh, he had the full he's had, Yeah. Yeah. No, he's had his full le- full lot now. Like, so he's just, um, you know, kind of a little pre-runner before the test. Yeah, I mean, not notwithstanding so. that some male drivers do make calamitous mistakes, but in this case, oh, it wasn't his here. fault. Ah, yeah. Absolutely not. And I mean, it just happened right in front of us again. And I mean, that's why I say to him, you have to have eyes everywhere on a roundabout. You have to not only look at your mirror on the right, you have to look on the one on the left as well. Well, that's the Dunn Kettle roundabout. The Kinsella Road roundabout, they call it the magic roundabout. And you know why. You'd want to have magic to get around it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But even the one down in Middleton. The one down in Middleton is, is fairly... But you know, you know, what, I, you know, what, I, you know what I well. think about roundabouts? When I'm going around a roundabout, I'm, I'm not just necessarily thinking, am I in the right lane? I'm thinking, are yes. all the other cars around me in the right oh, lane? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you just have to, uh, you know, I mean, uh, and I suppose a lot of that is experience, I suppose, too. You know, let's say for, for, for you know, my son, I mean, we, we can see ourselves I suppose okay I, I, I think this car is going to go into this you're lane you're anticipating you know, what the others are we, going to yeah, do yeah we are yeah oh yeah absolutely you know yeah good but, point um, okay oh, no, well I good mean, luck fingers and, crossed and for the test especially after yeah especially especially after you coming back from his driving lesson and he says oh my god what the hell like could be the best could be the you best know? thing that ever happened to him because that's another lesson oh, learned for him as a young driver oh absolutely absolutely yeah. oh he's everywhere yeah alright well Nate. said thanks Eileen right Kevin do you <laughs> want right, to jump bye. in is that yeah I, I feel a bit I feel a bit bad now because uh, I was that driver at one point uh, cutting across the lane um, why well, you, I, I you was, just didn't know. Yeah, what so you it was in? what. What happened was I was coming out of the tunnel and I was looking to go left towards um, Glanmire. Glanmire. Okay. Yeah, I was actually playing a match up in Glanmire and I was in a bit of a rush. It was a bit late, and uh, I was in the I was in the uh, the inside lane, let's say, um, to overtake, and uh, I couldn't get back out to the outside lane to turn left uh, because it was just there was I was trying to get in so yeah. they wouldn't let me back. They wouldn't let you in. They yeah. wouldn't let me in. Yeah. So they think I, you're right. you think you're just trying to dodge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I wasn't. I, like to be fair, there was just two trucks, and I, I don't like changing lane in the tunnel. I think it's a very very dangerous thing to do. So I was waiting to get out of the tunnel out the other side but when I got out the other side there was nowhere to try and get into the far what happened next so I thought because if you look at the roundabout uh, when you come onto it the left lane uh, the far left lane kind of it looks like the the lines are to kind of make you go up towards Cork and that that direction yeah so and then there's a second lane uh, which is kind of like an overtaking lane so I thought I'd be alright to pull from the second lane into the second the inside lane of the on-ramp going towards Cork not realising that actually you can go straight on to Dublin if you're in the far left lane which is I just totally forgot so I turned left oh my god I thought that left lane was only for left I thought so that left, what I, happened next I, I turned left the car in front of me didn't turn left and we we hit each other and I actually first thought I, I, heard, I felt the I didn't even notice the guy was there because I wasn't not that I didn't notice he was there I knew he was there but I just presumed he was going to be turning left and um, we hit we made contact and I was immediately when I hit him I thought what is this guy doing how did he manage to hit me like he was completely in the wrong and when I got out of the car and I kind of took a second to realise I'd realised that I'd done so um, what was his reaction like? well he was kind of he came out and he was firing his eyes and the the first thing I said was like look which is what they say you shouldn't do but in the panic I did immediately admit it said look that was my fault I think that's the right thing to do generally I think if everyone had that attitude when it comes to road accidents we'd have a lot less hassle with insurance yeah, 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 but I just yeah. said look 
I'm totally sorry. Uh, I, that was my misunderstanding. I showed him the, the lines on the roundabout, which do make it look like you turn left. And he said, look, I can understand that. That's fair enough. You are, you are at fault. So we agreed. Uh, we, I just said to him, look, uh, there's no need to go through insurance. I'll pay it off. I think it cost me about two grand in the end. That's a risky cars. business, I have to say. I'm glad you brought that up because people would be slow to accept that. Yes. Because they I g- think you'd say that now, but in an hour's time or tomorrow... Mm. You mightn't. You mightn't be inclined to pay up. Yeah, and I suppose look, in, if that's the case, we did swap insurance at the time just in case. Are you I supposed to call a guard? You are. You are supposed to call yeah. a guard. Um, yeah. He was rushing back to where he was going. I was rushing to where I was going. This is all very unadvisable for anybody. No, no, and listen. listen no, I appreciate you sharing it because the, the other story. side of the coin to that is people are saying if nobody's hurt, right, mm. and uh, everybody's fine, and it's just damage to the car. Just sort it out and get the car off the road so people can get on with their driving because you're just screwing up traffic. That's what we well, that's what we did. We we pulled off to the side straight away, and I think generally the advice is unless there is a serious injury, I, you, like, you pull it wh- off. And why then do call people the stop their cars for a tiny little fen- fender bender? I think people. Yeah. I think people are. I just think there's enough information out there about what to do when you're in an accident. It might be actually something that would be worthwhile including in your driver theory test. I think. And your man was fair enough about it and we, everything. Couldn't have been sounder. Couldn't yeah. have been nicer about it. He was from uh, from up the country. He was trying to get up there. Um, I actually sorted. Sounds out good to me because you could have been dealing with the so-called whiplash merchant as well. You know? said, now, to be honest. fair. Oh, here we go. Oh, here comes East Cork. <laughs> You're the East that. Cork jury. Telling you, I know of a case where there was an accident similar to what uh, Kevin is saying, but uh, guards were called, everything was fine, and six months later, um, the individual who got rear-ended uh, put in a whiplash claim. That's the point I'm making. Mm. Yeah, you'd need a guard for that, like. Yeah, no, that individual was seen going and coming from the shops right up right through everything but they still got a major payout well you know you need to be very careful because um, you know it leads us on to other areas then where we have all of these setups on roundabouts mm. you see those in the courts a lot as well you do fellas jamming on the break in front of you I, I, like in my case I'm glad it all worked out um, I certainly like if I had had my way again would I have called the guards probably well would've. you were lucky I took pictures of everything yeah. everything yeah. was documented you know we agreed we kind of texted each other back and forth that you night just came across an, an honest person there you know who just did the right thing and uh, you got lucky I think yeah I think I think so yeah you know, yeah, could have been very very different because if like even if a guard was called there you know and you were saw somebody else who might say oh there's an opportunity now mm. I know the courts have cut down the amount of money they're paying out for spurious accidents now mm. but there still could be 15 or 20 grand in it for somebody well look my advice is if you're going to Cork from the, the tunnel be in the left lane do not do not try and uh, and, I, and I genuinely at the time thought that that was illegal it wasn't like I was pulling the fast one. I don't. That's not how I drive. I genuinely thought that. I would have thought that, that, that the left been, lane is an exit lane. You're saying it can be left or straight on you the can Dublin actually road, go, but you end okay. up going over dotted lines, to, which is what confused me. So it's just, no, right. it was just the way the road was. Okay, there. appreciate that. Thanks for that. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Jack, thank you for waiting. My apologies for keeping you so long. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Okay. Um, driving habits. Your thoughts. Yeah, I was just uh, saying there, like, or when you get a driving, say, when you do your driving test and you get your driving license, your uh, driving license is for 10 years. Like, that's grand if you're getting it at 18 to, like, 28. I think, say, when you're renewing it, you don't have to do, like, another theory test. You don't have to do a driving license. You're basically apply and you just get handed a new one. Correct. So, like, you, you can go about 30 years without ever setting foot in 
a car with someone else who can judge their There's their no driving. refresher, there's no check, there's no anything like that. You're just driving for the rest of your life, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you know yourself, a lot can happen. Some people could be in an accident and they'd feel a little bit more, like, not safe on the road, so they'll take a handy, so, like, they could impair other drivers on the road. You okay, know. um... And should it be different? Do you think that there should be some way of testing a driver after a period of time? Yeah, I was uh, I was actually living in Canada for two years, and over there, every two years, you have to like when you renew, you have to do like a little kind of theory test, and every ten years, you have to like redo your driving test. So, so like, every two I mean, years, you have to do a theory test. How does that work? Is it something online you do at home or something? Um, you just go into like the. DVLA is basically like do you, do you know how you get the theory test done you just go in you sit down on the computer right. and it's like instead of I think the, the full one is 40 questions but I think over there the, the refresher is only 10 questions and you have to get 80% like at least it's something do you know what I mean you know I did that recently the online test and if that rule was here in this country right now I'd be off the road wouldn't I I failed it yeah, see, it, see, that's the thing, like, from, no offence, like, when you got your driving test, or when you first, like, when you are doing your L's, so much has changed in the road, like. Now, you know, I mean, I, I could have swatted up on it, but I didn't. I just sat down and did it two or three times, yeah. and I failed every time. I came very close now, in fairness to me, but I did fail. What would happen in Canada if you failed that mini-theory? Um, I Honestly, I don't know, because I passed mine, did to you? be honest with you. Right. Yeah, like, like I think um, you got to get thirty-seven out of forty or something. Yeah, here, yeah, thirty-six they're, out of forty they're seems they're very high. It's especially with the questions they're asking, like the tread depth of your tires and that kind of stuff. You know, like the regular person, they service the car when ever the mileage is up, and someone else tells them when they need to change it. You know. Yeah. Okay. So you think we should have something like that? Because over the course of a lifetime, you do people do pick up, probably me included, bad driving habits. Yeah, and I'm and I'm the same. Like I'm 25. Like you know, and we all have the things of having one hand on the clutch when you shouldn't be. Like you know. Yeah. You but, know. You know. But, uh, one, one of the thing I notice that people do. I don't know whether this is something that you do, but young people do is they freewheel a lot. They take the car out of gear. Yeah, I I do that. Now, to be honest with you. Why do you do that? If if so, if I'm coming into like a roundabout, like I can just I'll just put it in neutral and I'll just brake all the way to the stop. Why? I don't know. To be honest, it's just again, it's just one of those habits. Like, do you also do it going down a hill? Take the car out of gear? Uh, no. Okay. Well, maybe that's a good thing because others do. do you, like, I don't. I think that's very, isn't that very dangerous to do, Jack? Because your gears help you in braking. Yeah. Oh, like they do, like you know, but I don't know. Like it's, I suppose it. I shouldn't be doing it like one hundred percent, but it's just something you do, like, and it's just kind of hard to change. And like, I think that's even one of the factors I'm kind of speaking about. If I did have to renew my driver's license in four years, like I would have to like amend that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and which but would listen, make me a better driver. In the here future. I am calling the kettle black. You passed the test. I didn't. I should keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the Canadian oh. model. All right, appreciate yeah. that. Safe driving. Can Thanks, I, Jack. Can yeah. I add one more thing, if it's okay? Yeah. Uh, the last woman who was talking, she was said she was in the car with her uh, uh, son, who was a learner driver. Yeah. My uh, my girlfriend, she actually passed her test this year, but I'm fully uh, a fully licensed driver, so I could be the fully licensed driver in our car. Yeah. And I found 
many people like would give no respect to learner drivers. Like they'd be very close up behind them. Like if the light went green and like maybe two seconds later then she went, she'd be getting beeped and stuff. I don't understand that. I think it's very, very rude. Yeah, and I, I like I, I've never experienced this since I've been in the car since she has her end plates. Hasn't happened in the exact same car, exact same everything. But that airline in the back, like people are just blowing her off the road. They like. give L drivers, well, not everybody, but way too many people yeah. give L drivers grief. I repeat, yeah, they just blow the horn and they give, and they're trying to learn how to drive. I, I don't exactly. understand why people don't just have a bit of patience with them. And it's, and it's impacting them too because they're getting nervous, especially okay. since they don't have the time on the road yeah, as, we, as we do. Yeah, and tell me, uh, you you gave her lessons. Uh, well, she had to do the, we, she did hers in Mallow, but she was doing the, um, the 12 lessons herself, but you know, she needs a fully licensed driver. So I was, so I kind of taught her how to drive as well. And she never, she never sacked you, no? Uh, there was a few times there, no, she could have, uh, I, so I taught her out the gap, which her look. you know, it's, it's a tough thing. Like there's so much information being thrown at you. Yeah. Cause, you know what I mean? Well, I, I tried to teach both my son and my daughter to drive and both of them sacked me. <laughs> yeah, they, like, said I, they said I was shouting at them too much. Yeah, see, you kind of get that, but then you feel like if you don't see anything, they're not going to learn. You know what I mean? <laughs> and especially, say, well, at least for your kids, they're younger than you, but my girlfriend is like a year older than me. So it's kind of a bit of a weirder dynamic, if you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Well, she wasn't too impressed. A year is no difference in all fairness. She said she was 20 <laughs> years older than you, I'd say something, but a yeah. year, who would have thought? Uh, well, uh, anyway. Thanks, Jack. Well done. Cheers. Right. Take no care. Panic. Text 0868 back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. There is a clarity text there on um, calling out the ambulance, apparently. Oh, yeah, here it is. Thank you. No charge, Neil, for an ambulance call out um, but uh, somebody says I work with the ambulance service we don't charge it's the bill from the hospital emergency department people are getting not from the ambulance mind you I see a text here that says no charge for an ambulance call out there should be to stop the time west- wasters calling it out uh, another one then from a retired firefighter because we're talking about county councils and Cork County Council do this Cork City Council don't they will send you a bill if you call out a fire brigade, and it could be as high as 360 euro. Uh, I'm a retired firefighter, just to say that the public have no idea what's going on within the county fire service. They've introduced charges for the following. Road traffic collisions, minimum 1,500 euro. Chimney fires, including pensioners, minimum 150 euro up to 250 euro they have no clue how to treat their staff that put themselves in danger every day they've created a wide gap between management and staff there is a serious disconnect now within the fire service so that's one aspect of a disconnect between management and staff but the other is that they have introduced charges for all sorts of call outs including things like road traffic collisions Seamus was telling me he got a bill and the other five or six drivers also got one 360 euro each and a chimney fire could cost you 250 euro. What do you think about that? Text 0868 104 106. Now, um, while I was away, uh, Mick Mulcahy was, was on air for those couple of weeks and at the time he chatted with uh, Shane O'Callaghan um, and the lads were telling me about it this morning because Shane is literally cycling 
all the way across Europe to Essen in Germany. Um, and he's into day five now and I think has passed his, his first border, I believe. And he joins me. He's off the bike for a couple of minutes now. He joins me by phone. Shane, good morning. Neil, how are things? I'm well. B- before we chat a little bit more about why you're doing it, where are you now? Uh, I'd say heading east about halfway through Belgium. Crikey. Okay, so you've gone from Cork on a ferry, is it? Yeah, I went from my own place in um, in Maple Woods in Ballinacurra. Uh, that was day one down to Ring of Skiddy and took the ferry across to Roscoff and started then on, uh, on thur- Thursday last week. Yeah, Thursday last week. Okay, okay. Why are you doing this, Shane? So it's to... Um, it's to raise funds for the Gavin Glynn Foundation. That's really the the, the, the destination I'm going to. It's the, it's the uh, West Deutsche Proton Therapy Center in Essen. And the Gavin Glynn Foundation helps families travel to there and to other destinations for cancer treatment for their children. Uh, they helped ourselves um, a couple of years back uh, with my son Fabian. And uh, uh, so really it's, it's in memory of him now. And... Um, and to help support that charity. So, um, uh, yeah, so that's why I'm doing it, just to recreate our journey that we took as a family and uh, the journeys that many families are having to take uh, to, to Must be very emotional of you. It must be very emotional for you to be taking that journey, considering that you did take it with your precious son, Fabian, who passed away at the age of three, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, he passed away at three in... Um, was it a brain tumour Fabian had, was it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, he did, yeah, he was diagnosed in 2016 with a brain tumour and um, had multiple surgeries at the time uh, going into that summer. And we'd always... Con- did, did, did mention this and going travelling to and might be his best... Um, mm. Opportunity for recovery uh, for proton therapy treatment. Um, they had mentioned that very early on, but yeah. uh, as I said before, we kind of just put it to the back of our minds and we said we'd deal with it when the time came. We yeah. didn't know how we were going to do it, if it was going to cost anything or what was going to happen. And of so course, you would investigate any, you'd, you'd, you'd investigate any avenue for a son or daughter, wouldn't you? You really would. I mean, he was, yeah, yeah, he was fighting they, the best fight he could, but he needed help, was it? Yeah, yeah, and... and the Proton Centre in Germany is actually is a place where the HSE and Crumlin are sending kids. They're they're covering the cost of the treatment, and they're sending more and more kids there because for the for the kids, it's it's really the best treatment they can get for certain tumours yeah. because it, it it really targets the, the tumour bed and helps to um, really get rid of any residue tumour that happened to be there, and then doesn't affect the surrounding tissue as badly, say, as, as standard radiotherapy does. So the HSE covered that cost of treatment, but they don't cover the cost of travel. I know, and I know, accommodation I know, I know. and expenses. And it's six to seven weeks away from home. Um, and that's where John in the Gavin Glynn Foundation step in. They'll, we gave them a ring. We met John in Crumlin one day down in their Crumlin canteen, and he just said, listen, we'll take care of everything. You tell us when you're going. At the time, where we were, where we were going to stay, where we had looked into staying, and he and, and you they, went, they and and and, uh, and Fabian had the proton therapy. You you were probably very optimistic at that point, were you? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, Fabian, he did. He um, 
he had the treatment and he, he took to it really well. You know, we had a, we had a, a good few months of recovery in the hospital in Temple Street and at home before we went. But he took to the treatment well, you know, once the treatment was done during the day, we could enjoy the time around Essen and the weekends and things like that. And, you know, we were like an, a, a normal family, except he yeah. had to go for treatment every day. Yeah. And we came home and he was good. And we thought that would be it. And we would just wait for the routine scans to tell us everything was okay. Yeah, but I know. One of the routine scans said it had, um, they, they picked up something in the spinal cord. So the same kind of, the, the same tumor had traveled down. And um, they, did, they did an operation to clear that out. And we were actually going back to, pro, to Essen a second time for treatment. And we went back a second time for a setup scan, which you do a couple of weeks before you go for treatment for right. a few days. Yeah. The scan, the scan just took so long, myself and my wife, because we'd been used to scans, especially there. I've been used to how they do it, and it just took so long. And they said nothing, and they said, oh, everything is okay, everything is okay, but it wasn't their business to say. And we came back, we thought we'd be traveling in a few weeks, and I got a phone call and work for the Crumlin one day on a Friday, and they said, listen, the, that the, the, the scan in Essen had showed up that the tumor had just, had just gone he, he had gone out of control basically and and going to Essen really going to Essen a second time really wasn't um, really wasn't an option oh then. no and, and I don't know how try. you would process that kind of information yeah yeah no it was uh, extremely difficult you know because they're pretty much telling you that I know you're very emotional you miss fortune um, I know I know and it's more emotional to be travelling the road that you travelled with your beautiful son so sad. Oh, so yeah, sad. Yeah, it is. yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, we just did what we, uh, the best we could do for them then, you know, just uh, they pretty much said that that was it, but we looked around. As you do, you never give up. You looked around at all the options, and uh, none of the options were um, coming back with anything. They were just saying you're on the treatment that they would do, you know, whether that was in the States or wherever it happened to be, and... Um, yeah, and it just got too much for him. And, you got and too much. He, 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 fought, he fought it out for a few months. And he passed away at home with myself, my wife, Basha, my daughter, Lauren. Um, we were all at home with him. Um, we were all at home with him. And he uh, he left us one morning. So. And, uh, yeah, and, 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 you know, we had to, uh, we had to deal with that then. So. I know. I can't, I can't imagine how one would deal with it. Um, and, and even doing what you're doing now, where you get the strength and the willpower to do it. Um, I suppose Fabian's on your shoulder as you cycle the bike along, yeah? He, he is, yeah, you know. and, and You're probably chatting away uh, to him there as you cycle the bike. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when, I'm not chatting to my, when I'm not chatting to myself, yeah, yeah, I am, you know. And, and you see him in certain times and in certain moments of the day. And... When you're struggling and you're you're uh, you're trying to tell yourself to keep pushing on, you you just you just think about you know that um, the journey he took himself, and you know the the, the the fight that he put up, and you just have to you know you just have to keep going and and you will keep going. The destination is in sight now, and we'll uh, as I look up the road now, I can you know and and 
I know we'll get there. We'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. Are you all are you all alone? Have you any backup with you or anything like that? No, no, I'm on my own. No, I'm on my own. This is, so there'll be 1,200 kilometres. my journey, yeah. Five yeah. countries, and you, you've given yourself, what, a, a week? Yeah, yeah. So the first day, as I said, was from about 50k down to Ringeskiddy. And what and do you... the overnight ferry. Yeah. And so, so like, some of those roads are quite dangerous. Like, what, what kind of a... You're not on motorways, or what, what types of roads do you use? No, I... I I routed out. Uh, I used an app to route out all the um, uh, all the, the, the six days on the continent, and it, it doesn't put me on any motorways. Yeah. It barely put. It, I've been on a dual carriage wave the odd time, so it's all real fabulous. And I can only say fabulous French country roads and routes through the forest and by loads of bike paths here now in Belgium like so isn't that the amazing the most dangerous aspect of it was, was Paris trying to get through Paris get around Paris yeah what do you do no, get, I went through <laughs> did you go through it yeah I went through Paris yeah just to cycle up to Champs-Élysées you know and uh, and bring Fabian with me up there and, oh and, shame uh, oh for God's sake uh, but it was a, cra- a crazy experience to, to do it did you cycle through the Somme I believe Yes, I, was, I went through the Somme yesterday, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you stop um, at any, any of the military cemeteries or any of the battle sites? I, I, yeah, it is, you, don't, you don't have much time. You don't have much time really the clock, to be yeah, going, yeah. Uh, going off track. Yeah, you are on the clock and a, and a half an hour. Um, it's very hard to catch up again, you know. But I do stop. I've stopped in a few spots. I was in a, a military cemetery... And they're littered all o- they're littered all over that area. Um, you can see them all the white headstones. Have you and, uh, met anybody along the way? Maybe cyclists or whatever. Like, where, where do you stay overnight? What do you do for food and things? So the overnights I booked. Um, I booked guest houses. Um, probably back in January and February. And so they were my destination points. My de- I just picked, picked a guest house 200 kilometers from wherever I was starting. And they were my destination points. So I've always a goal to get to. And sometimes when you're running late, you have to push hard to get there. Mm. Uh, um, and I do. I, 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 I've met people on the road. Um, I met a French guy traveling. I was stopped for lunch in the town and uh, he joined me for lunch and I met a, a guy from America, Mark, uh, from America yesterday. He was, he caught me on, um, on a canal path and he was looking for somewhere to eat and it just happened to be one of my stops to eat, one of my towns I was planning to stop in. Yeah. So he joined me for lunch there, you know. So That's amazing. So picking up a few strangers here and there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the accommodation. Sometimes I get a, I get dinner in the accommodation. You can you sit down with the the, the guest house owners and they'll uh, and they'll treat you to a meal. And then uh, the other times I, I well one other time I've eaten out last night I ate out. And that was yeah. What's the weather like for you, but Shane? To try and get food on the way. You have to go. You have to get food on the way. Of course you do. You have to keep the strength up. Food and liquid. Yeah. You have to get the water into. You. What kind yeah, of a yeah, bike yeah. are you exactly. on, incidentally? Uh, I'm on a. Pretty, sta- pretty much standard steel road bike, um, and just have tr- sorry four four bags attached, so they're carrying all my equipment, clothes, spare clothes, okay, a few t-shirts and stuff like that, um, jackets, uh, somewhere where I can stash a bit of food, batteries, chargers, phones, <laughs> every, every, everything under the 
I might need and hopefully stuff that I won't need. Any punctures? No. Uh, let's not talk about that I don't want to jinx, jinx myself right. okay. we're doing alright stuff yeah, yeah. let's not talk about that then for fear that when you say no you'll get one I understand what you're saying and is the weather kind yeah. to you? yeah actually I can't complain it's actually been pretty good um, a real mixed bag of course you're travelling such long distances the weather when you start out may, may not be the weather when you finish I know I know but the the, the sun is hot the sun is hot there in Brittany when the sun is out in Brittany and you're in these open fields and there's not much shade around it, it's, it's very warm. I had one wet day, but it, it actually came as a bit of a relief because I could think about my wet shoes and not think about I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and today has been good, it's been overcast, it's been a real mixed day, but, you know, a steady 20 degrees, not much wind around, so I can't complain to be honest. It, 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 I mean, everybody is immensely sorrowful at the loss of your son, really and truly. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's an incredible thing that you're doing in his memory and also to help others. And, um, it, it, and I know that there are funds behind this, you're saying, as you're trying to raise as much as you can to help other families who may go through a similar scenario with their son or their daughter or their child. Uh, how can people yeah. help? Uh, there's an I Donate page. Um if if you type in Ballinacorra or you type in Essen or even the Gavin Glenn Foundation, it'll it'll come up, uh, and you can donate there. Uh, I, I, I had a quick check last night, and we were just shy of eleven. Eleven grand. Euros. I'd say on I donate, you'd find yeah. it in memory of Fabian, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure actually if it comes up. Uh, Ballinacorra to Essen. Yeah, Ballinacorra to Essen. Will definitely come up, or even just Fallon a car on its own will okay. come up as well. As and well. let me just say um, that everything that you're doing is self-funded. None of the proceeds or the fundraising comes out of it to cover your expenses. It's all separate. One hundred percent of everything raised will go to the Gavin Glynn Foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Any donation that goes into okay. I donate is uh, direct to the foundation. Okay. So. Okay. And when um, do you expect to cycle in to Essen? Hopefully, about two o'clock tomorrow. I was actually just talking to John Glynn about half an hour ago on the phone, and he's going to head to Essen himself, and he's going to meet me in hopefully in Fitzpatrick's pub in Essen. Uh, For a well-deserved pint. Um, would it be possible well, maybe to sure, chat with yeah. you at about maybe ten to midday tomorrow to see where you're at just before you go off air? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Listen, it's an incredible achievement. I'd encourage people who are listening to this program. It's a wonderful thing for a dad to do. And, you know, our blessings with you that the rest of the journey is safe and that you arrive there tomorrow lunchtime. Um, and I'll give out the details of I Donate and hopefully we'll have an opportunity just to touch base with you just before 12 tomorrow, okay? Yeah, no problem. All right, Shane. Can look. I just uh, say one or two words of thanks there? Yeah. If you don't mind, yeah, listen. I, I, first of all, my wife. Um, I wouldn't be doing it with, without without bashing my wife and our two kiddos at home, uh, Nadia and Sammy, also my daughter Lauren. Everyone, all our friends, people we work with, everyone I work with in Mark and Carrick Tool, they've been unbelievable. And 
I just want to wish them best of luck today. I know they have a big announcement there today. Yeah, and a lot of jobs. Yeah. They're around the plant today. So, yeah, yeah. Has it been made yet? I don't know. So. <laughs> I mean, you're probably not in the loop with news. Yeah, they've just announced no, no. just under half good, a billion yeah. investment in both locations. 440 million euro plans to extend the, I suppose, expand, expand both plants and hire nearly 400 people. It's great news. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, massive, massive day for them, and uh, yeah, yeah, great for Cork as well. So, okay. and listen, just thanks to everyone who's donated or been involved in any way, or sent me a message or wishes or anything at all. It'll be uh, emotional for you tomorrow as you cycle into Essen. It really will. But there's a lot of people thinking yeah. of you for the last 24 hours of your journey. Look after yourself, Shane. We'll talk in the morning. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks, uh, thanks to everyone at Reddit as well. For okay, the, uh, take for care. The, all right. Thanks, call. Shane. Cheers. Tomorrow, bye. Back on the bike and we'll talk to you tomorrow. That's Shane O'Callaghan who's uh, making that journey, of course, to raise funds in memory of his precious, beautiful son, Fabian, who died at the age of three when he could no longer fight the tumour. And as uh, Shane said, left to fly with the angels. And should you wish to contribute, then you can do so on iDonate. And when you go into iDonate, no matter how small it is, everything helps. Um, you can do so by searching uh, iDonate. And then when you get into it, Balanacura to Essen. And it's the number two, as in Balanacura number two, Essen. Thank you for that. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Lines open, text 0868-104-106. Before I love you and leave you for the day, here's a lovely story. And people are going to be just so kind. Tracy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, this is lovely, isn't it? Um, your dad was yeah. in, was he out in Murphy's Rock in the bar, was it? Yes. Yeah. We have no, we don't know why he even went there because he never goes to bars. But for some reason, he drove up there, left yeah. his car in the middle of the car park and sat down at a table with the family. And when he thought it was me. He thought it was, yeah. yeah he was confused yeah. in misfortune. Where, this last, was, was yeah. this last night? Yesterday? No, last, uh, um, last Sunday, the week before. Week on Sunday, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so all we knew was that the lady's name was Martina, and because we were all living so far away, she took his phone and called my sister and my brother to try and get in contact with us. And um, you can imagine, I live in Switzerland, my brother lives in Macroom, <gasps> wow. my sister lives in Limerick, so none of us were kind and of. Where's you know, dad live? By, in Ballyvalan. Okay, so he wasn't far mm-hmm. from home then. No, Murphy's Rocks at no, Ballyvanan Bar, a restaurant. But exactly, but he was just whatever happened. He just got very confused. He has no recollection of what happened to this day. He spent the rest of the week in hospital. They tested from top to toe and um, found nothing. And he can't even remember what happened. But we were just so thankful to Martina for how she reacted, how she took care of him, and waited on some, until someone came along. To help him. So Martina was there and he sat at her table and she managed to mm-hmm. get his phone, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yes. who did mm-hmm. she call? Yeah. She called my sister. Right. Mm-hmm. In okay. Limerick. So we just tried to get on to family who were closer by in Cork. And be, being the day it was, it was nice weather. A lot of the family were down in Garrettstown for the day. So it was a bit of a. Yeah, I know. I was a bit of an alert for the family. It was a scare. I sure everybody Mm -hmm. would be upset to hear of a loved one being confused like that. And they did their tests on dad, and he's home now, is he? Mm -hmm. And hopefully everything will be okay. 
exactly. He's yeah. back home yeah. and on the mend, so he'll yeah. be fine again. Yeah. He picked a good mm-hmm. spot to go for a pint or a bit of food, I can tell you. <laughs> he did indeed. Is there lashing <laughs> out great grub there and have been? Just very quickly, Bernard Murphy's the owner of Murphy's Rock and he joins me before. Yes. Bernard, good morning. Hi, Neil. Good morning. Am I, are we missing anything else here? I mean, did the staff get involved? Were you made aware of it? Yes, what had happened, Neil, was the, the manager was made aware of it and they could see that the man was out of sorts, you know. But thankfully, to, to be fair to Martina, um, she kept him calm, um, just looked after him and um, herself and her husband, Christy, would be regular drinkers here, you know. Yeah. So she could see that they were... He wasn't known to the area. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, um, so she struck up I a bit think. of a conversation just to chat she with did. him, see she if he was all right. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can mm. see he was he was thinking that party. The bar manager was his son, so he was that much mm-hmm. of a sort. So then we yeah. knew we had a problem. So thankfully, Martina reacted well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, took his phone and and made contact with the family. So thank God, all was fine. You know, it's lovely, isn't it? It's the kind of thing we'd love to think would happen every single time that somebody needed a little bit of help yeah, or a little yeah, bit of a dig out. And uh, we, we need to organise something nice for Martina. What was our we what's will, our partner's we will, name? I'll tell you what we'll do because the the, 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 the seats are, are few and far between for the Champions League final next next Saturday night. <laughs> so I'd like to offer Martina and Christy. Um, complimentary lunch and a few drinks on us <laughs> for the champagne. Oh, wow. Isn't that so, nice now, Tracy? Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, thank you so much, Barnabin. And yeah, I think oh, it will be, fantastic. I think also when Dad is up for it, it would be a nice thing if maybe a bit of a lunch was set up there as we well. Will, of course. We will, of course. I oh, yeah. thought you mm-hmm. would. I thought you would. <laughs> I'll be home again in July and I'll come up with my dad. <laughs> Why don't you just do that? Wait till July and then Bernard can sort yeah. something nice. Food is terrific yeah. at Murphy's Rock. Okay. Absolutely Perfect. great. <laughs> Listen, delighted, Tracy, that you got in touch yeah. to say thank you. It's, good. it's a wonderful Crazy. thing to do. And best of luck yeah. to the da- your dad, all right? Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks How's business, Bernard? All good, Neil. All good. Flying? All good, Jack. Liverpool are doing wonders for us this year. Helps us along all the way. Don't be talking about Liverpool. I get enough grief now because of Man City at the moment. People going on about Liverpool. I know, disappointing day yesterday. Which I know, yeah, I know. But the summer, will be, summer will be good for you because you got the outdoors and the in, don't win, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we did through COVID is we added outdoor areas. So yeah, it's, that should be that's a big bonus. And you know something, that investment is paying back now. It is. It is. One of the big problems at the moment is staff. Any problems in that area? We are, to be fair. It's we are. tough, isn't we it? Are. Yeah difficult it just seems to be the whole uh, the yeah. whole hospitality sector seems to be suffering so I know you got the sleeves yeah. up working long hours yeah. Yeah. anyway listen it's good to catch up with the Bernard okay, see you soon take care okay, and anyways. thank you Thanks for that appreciate a lovely gift for uh, Tracy and the family when she's back in July they'll all go up for a spot of lunch and indeed for Martina and her partner next weekend that's the kind of human kindness that we want to share they're the kind of stories I'd love to hear about if you've got one to share thank you to uh, everybody who contributed to this morning's program get in touch text 086 8104106 pick up the phone on 08 1-8-104-106. And if you have a story that you want to share with me, you can always do so by emailing neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.